Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. beards in four people i know, yeah, Luke, I, know I, can't, right? I can't grow a beard <laughs> also also uh if you are also hearing adam's crackly crackliness uh don't worry it's not going on the recording it only happens on our end is it really bad it's really yeah, bad it's worse yeah. than it's ever been yeah it is crackly actually it's really crackly. Is it? i don't understand how though because you've got nothing analog in your setup have you what are you talking about i'm going into an interface through an xlr cable it's all analog well, yeah, it'll be a little mic amp in the little interface, wouldn't it? That'll be analog. Yeah. My mic costs thirty pounds. Oh. Can we make do? I, I'm borrowing mine off a of mate. I've got <laughs> a really shitty mic position. My, mine will probably sound the worst because I've I've done mine off. Are we on camera on this or not? It no, won't be, no, it won't no, be no. broadcast in on camera. Oh, okay. We'll probably, oh, well, look, we might look. take a screenshot or two. Right. Okay. Well, just to preview it here, I'll bring it a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just very shy. This isn't how I like. Record video of myself prone just to uh, booming laughter, which would just be like wild distortion. But um, <laughs> yeah, we'll try it. There. We'll, we'll try it. There. Uh, guys, oh, how do we usually start a podcast? Um, just how, yeah, how many have that, we done? That. I can't remember. That. That. That's how we start a podcast. What we just, just did is normally how we start the podcast. Yeah. All right then. Uh, hello <laughs> and welcome to Do You Love Us? A critical analysis of the. History, cultural impact, and music of Manic Street Preachers. Um, we are asking the questions: Does context matter when you listen to music? Does knowing the history of a band uh, make you more appreciative of their 
musical <laughs> output. And we're asking the question, do you love us? Us being Manitary Preachers and not us, the hosts of the podcast, Do You Love Us? To which you are now listening. Uh, I'm Adam Scott Glassball. With me, as always, is Lucas Way. Right. You didn't think I was going to do you first, did no, you? No, you never do. Uh, <laughs> Steve Murphy. All right. <laughs> and we're joined, and I should have asked before we started, Dave, is it Eringer or Eringa? Where's the emphasis? It's Eringer. 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 Yeah, only because, I, Hello. only because I didn't like my gym teacher at school and he always used to say a ringer and that used to <laughs> okay. bug me. Good information, was I shall not bring up your gym teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of wiped out about 50% of my questions. Oh, well, <laughs> so that's a pain. Uh, Dave, you already know this, uh, but you are a, a record producer and mix engineer and you have worked with uh, people like Wilco Johnson and Roger Daltrey and Ida Wilde and Ash and Kylie Minogue and Tom Jones and Ocean Colour Scene and Suede uh, and uh, Manic Street Preachers. Uh, listing it all like that, I mean, this is something that you've been doing for most of your life, right? 30 years I've been in the studio, yeah. What, just that one studio? No, <laughs> you've just been locked in for thirty years. No, all, That's over, harrowing. all over the place, all over the place, the world. Weirdly, that is, that is a long time to be uh, kind of just doing one thing, I, I suppose. Although that but it's one the best thing encompasses thing. many, many things. It's, yeah, I suppose it's, so. It's the best thing. It's making music. What else is? What else is any good? And and what is music, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's life, isn't it? It's, it's, it's art and love and culture and politics and fashion and beauty and ugly and it's all of it. It's everything. Oh, that's such a good answer. That's so much better than no. So they're always better. <laughs> they're always better depending on like the the person that we're interviewing. If they're you know a professional, let's say mm. uh, their answer's really good, and then you get the likes of us. And the answer is dog shit. It's almost, uh, I, like, it's almost like some people are professionals and work in music and the rest of us are fucking useless idiots. Yeah. This is Adam's I, shock jock uh, question to try and trip someone up and it's never worked. Right. Instead you give it to Michael Sheen and he like recites some beautiful poetry to you. Yeah, yeah. I bet yeah. Michael Sheen was better than me, eh? Bloody hell. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. We've only ever gotten good answers to that question, which actually is a bit annoying. Um <laughs> For th- so, so you've been doing this for 30 years and like you've also been working with the Manics for 30 years yeah they are such sort of like a uh, stalwart of your career yeah they're the, they're the, they're the um they're the most important one definitely <laughs> um so how, how did that come about like how did you first well, meet I the was Manics? literally the t-boy on their first indie single on Motown Junk um, no way. Well, you were just making the tea. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it was Terry. Um, Terry Hall, who you interviewed a few weeks ago, um, she was managing producers and engineers at the studio where I was the assistant. You know, I was, the, you know, and that is the tea boy, you know. Um, uh, and I just remember her coming up to me in the studio and um, Robin Evans, who produced Motown Junk so beautifully. He was one of the engineers that was managed at the studio. Um and uh, she came up to me and said, uh, "Hey, Dave, do you want to make tea for the new Clash?" And I was like, <laughs> wow, "Wow!" I was like, "Yeah, I do. Yep. I want to do that. <laughs> want to do that." So uh, yeah, and we just—I think we just when they came in and um, 
power plant was quite a was, was like a cool London studio. There were lots of sort of uh, cool acts done there, and I, you know, like in the eighties, it had been like Terence Front Derby and Sade, and you know, Go mm. Discs were doing all their stuff there. So it was bands like the Lars and stuff like that that were all sort of very cool at the time. And the Manics came in, makeup splattered punks in, you know culture slut t-shirts and i was i was like a metal kid and like you know i had on probably a bloody kiss t-shirt or something and like hair down to my ass nice. and you know everyone else in the studio was cool and i was clearly the very opposite of cool and <laughs> i think they they just recognized a, a a fellow outsider and you know you you know as well as i do that they're completely obsessed with appetite for destruction and and i was yeah. too and so we uh we we connected over over that record and what it meant to us um and uh, and so we just, you know on on that on motown junk they needed um they needed some hammond and i knew where the d chord was on the uh, on the hammond so i went down and played <laughs> that and that was my first um my first so you're on motown junk yeah, so my first my first credit is Motown Junk and its assistant engineer and Hammond, and when I saw it on the record, you know, a few few weeks later, I just couldn't believe it. You know, it was just so exciting, <laughs> and they were lovely, and they stayed in touch with me and wrote me postcards from the road and stuff, and oh, wow. um, and then they came well, they back. They are nice the, boys, aren't they? They're very they lovely. Nice. They're very lovely. Yeah, um, <laughs> and they came back in and did you love us? Um, heavenly version uh, with spectators of suicide and. Um, Oh God! What was the other B side of Heavenly? You love us. Oh. Come on, Adam. Something else. Come on. Adam. Oh no. <laughs> it was straight. The live strip it down. Spectators of suicide and um, another one. Uh, yeah. And uh, another song. And they did that again. <laughs> they did that again with Robin Evans at Power Plant. So I was there again on doing a bit of organ and making some tea. Uh, and then they got their big uh, major label deal. You know, with with Sony. Um, and so they decided to do Generation Terrace, you know, because they wanted to do this, you know, big artistic statement of, you know, the politics of Public Enemy and the riffs of Guns N' Roses and sell 17 and a half million albums of their debut double album and then split up. Um, so, you know, they needed to make it really slick, you know, at the time kind of thing uh, or what slick was at the time. And of course, while they, while they went off and, and did that, um, never mind hit. And so what was slick and yeah. FM... Had 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 irreversibly changed, kind of thing. So, I think they they felt um, obviously they they hold you know we've all we all hold GT and we love it you know kind of thing. But equally, I think they felt that um, sonically they'd made compromises that they maybe didn't need to have made um, to make it super FM and super slick. Um, and, the drums, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Um, so it came around to the second album. Um, and all this time I'd stayed in touch with her because when, when it, uh, on Generation Terrorists they were kind enough to get me down to do bits of keyboards that were easy kind of thing so I played on <laughs> You Love Us Again and Spectators of Suicide and I had a go at Motorcycle Emptiness but I'm not I'm not no. very, <laughs> I'm not a very good keyboard player you know um, and, uh, and so I, and I, we tried some and I, I, I can't I didn't play on Little Baby Nothing but I think I had a go at it uh, and some other stuff. I think I played on, you know, four or five of the tracks on Generation Terrace. And, and so that was so kind of them to sort of keep, you know, giving me a call. I'd love and... to hear some of the tracks on Generation Terrace where you had a go at some of them. Yeah, at some of them. <laughs> Just to hear I mean, what they sound like. Motorcycle Emptiness was particularly hard because we were they, they were in the massive room, uh, uh, um, a studio that used to be called the Hit Factory, Whitfield Street in London. 
And it was right. like a room you could get an orchestra in. And I was like a little kid, you know, <laughs> and on this massive grand piano in the middle of the room with the control room about a mile away, like playing it like a tit, like really badly, you know, just really aware that I was really out of time and that it just wasn't good. And yeah, that was yeah, not my, not my finest hour. Do you think that's that's like... Do you think that's good for young bands to be kind of thrust into that position so early on in their careers? Well, they did most of that record at, at Black Balm, which was which was a residential studio out in Surrey. This was like mm. overdubs in London, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it is it is weird to 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 go straight yeah. in at the deep end like that. I remember seeing an interview with Simple Minds. You know, they did their first record in Abbey Road, and they were saying that they felt that it was ridiculous and they felt really out of place. Yeah, that is mad, isn't it? Imagine doing your first uh, first record where the Beatles recorded a lot of their stuff. That would be very intimidating, I think. It is, because you walk into the, the um, reception of Abbey Road and there's a big platinum desk thing behind the um, reception desk and it says, in, in memory of uh, one billion Beatles record sales. And you're just like, what's, what's the fucking point? It <laughs> 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 just feel like turning around and going home, you know? <laughs> so your, your official... Um, but before that, your official role as T-Boy... Um, did that come about just because music is something that you've always wanted to do and you just wanted to be Oh, why well, I wanted to, to work possible. in a studio. Yeah, I just never wanted to do anything else. It was always, um, I always wanted to be a record producer. The, the full story is, um, I met, like, we didn't have many foreign holidays when I was a kid kind of thing, but we did have one weird five-day trip to Florida, which is like a really odd thing to do, to go all that way for five days. But nice. on the flight on the way home, uh, there was a there was a guy with really long hair in the in the seat next to me on the plane. So it was like my mum, me, and then this guy and my dad and brother were in the row behind. Um, and he had really long hair, and I was a bit of a precocious little tit. And I leaned over to him and said, "Has anyone ever told you you look like Sammy Hagar? You know, who was singing for Van Halen at the time?" And uh, and he turned around and said, uh, "He said, hey man, when me and Sammy are in the studio together, people can't tell us apart." And I was like. <laughs> <gasps> and he'd done he, he was a producer you know and he'd done loads of um kind of soft metal records you know like kiss members solo records and like magnum and stuff like that and like i was just like oh my god and i did just talk this poor bloke's ass off for eight hours on the way home and i got off the plane and i said i want to do what he does so you met a guy with long hair on a plane who was a record producer and that sort of inspired your move to then become a record producer yeah and then the weird thing was have you considered that that was you from the future (laughs) (laughs) well no it wasn't because um two weeks after i started at power plant um in uh, wellsden in north london um that guy booked the studio and he'd never worked in the uk before and he never worked in the uk again Wow. Oh, that's actually really weird. It's, it's really, definitely really you weird. from the future. It's definitely yeah. you. <laughs> it's really weird. Did you physically touch him? Because, you know, as we all know, two time travellers touch each other, you physically implode. So. There you go. Well, I didn't do that. and I, Yeah, I think it probably, so. it, it probably <laughs> would have been bad if I'd tried to touch him. Yeah. As, as a T-boy. Maybe your career would have taken yeah. off if you tried to touch <laughs> him. <laughs> That might have been seen as a bit of a breach of etiquette. <laughs> Lucas, um, that's always your answer. Did you touch them? Did you touch them? <laughs> um, so if we like then fast forward to now, you've worked on, in, in, in some capacity, on 10 of the 13 Manix albums. Yeah. Which is insane. But 
but how do you sort of and james's james's two solo records as well yeah that's mad isn't it that's a lot of work with the with the guys well and all the Uh, bits in between you know like all the you know like masses against the classes and you know like the football song and the you know um all the various other bits and bobs you know yeah and and you're working with them right now i believe i don't think that's uh yeah no i am indeed yeah yeah uh what how do you account for the longevity of that working relationship uh there uh honest truth is probably i mean uh i mean they are lovely lovely people they are yeah we get that sense fiercely <laughs> uh fiercely intelligent um and fiercely i mean piss take is another level it's just like if if the laser of nicky wires wet ever falls on you you just have to batten down the hatches because you are never gonna win and you have to learn <laughs> that you just have to hope that the punishment ends soon kind of thing <laughs> uh and i can take that and maybe some people can't uh, so that right, that, you know, so you're so a particularly good punch. There's, back. A, there's, yeah, so I'm definitely <laughs> yeah. a good punch back. Um, there's a, uh, um, uh, there's a family element to everything with them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, they were like family growing up. They grew up in the same road, um, and they are very much like family. Obviously, James and Sean are family. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, I suppose they must like um, some of the stuff that I do. Yeah. yeah, I suppose that's yeah, that's true. I suppose they must at this point, right? But they're not, they're not, <laughs> they don't just keep trying very, to like very very polite. They're not they're yeah. not those kind of people that are gonna like you know kiss your ass all the time and tell you how mm. fucking brilliant it is. It's much more that they're gonna tell you when you fuck up, you know. So they're not just sort of like being like, well, maybe he'll get it on this one. <laughs> I mean, it could be that. <laughs> <laughs> It could be that. No, I, mean, I mean, I don't. I I think you know we share some. You know, I definitely they definitely schooled me in the first few years in all of the references that I didn't have. You know, I would love to say that I was listening to Joy Division in the early eighties, but I just wasn't. You know, I wasn't that cool. Right, yeah. Um, I was listening. You know, I all of the rock side of their um, of their reference points. I obviously got straight away, but I got. I you know they definitely took me on a musical journey, man. Um, through, you know, through Echo and the Bunny Men and Joy Division and, um, you know, post-punk and um, so many things that, you know, they opened my eyes to kind of thing that I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been listening to Am am I right in saying that they also kind of gave you that that shot, like uh, Gold Against the Soul is... Well, yeah, it it was a ridiculous, it was a ridiculous situation. I mean, I... Very early in your career, right? Yeah, I was 21. I had lied to them through my teeth as to how much engineering I was doing. Um, nice, good, good, good. Uh, so, you know, they would say, oh, what you do? Oh, you know, I've just been recording some bands, you know, just getting some drum sounds and, you know, and it was, that was not true at all. Um, uh, and when, you know, like I said, the, you know, they had maybe decided that, you know, the sound of GT wasn't exactly how they wanted it, how, how they wanted to be going forwards. Um, it was definitely what they wanted at the time. Um, Steve Brown, who produced this brilliant, absolutely brilliant guy. Uh, who I love, so mm. I, did, I don't mean that it didn't turn out how they wanted it. Do you know what I mean? Um, I know what you mean. And so yes, I know exactly you know, what you mean. Uh, when it came to uh, Gold Against the Soul, um, they said, "Do you want a shot at producing it?" It's just really, 
you know, looking back, of course, that seems completely ridiculous because I was 21. But at the same time, I was so young that I was just too stupid to be daunted by it. So I was just, let's wade in with both boots, you know. Yeah, that must be oh, how it man. happened. 21. We go you're invincible when you're 21. Of course. So you were just like, yeah, I can absolutely do that. Of course I can. Totally. Like, there's totally. no way I can't do this. I mean, we, d- we did a song called Patrick Bateman first. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, because um, they said, you know, they were like, do you want to produce? Right. Yeah, let's do this. We're going to do that. So we booked a, a a residential studio in Kent. I went down and saw that, and I was like, yeah, this will work. Um, you know, and then they said, they're all right, we're going to send you a rehearsal tape. Um, uh, you know, literally just recorded on a Ghetto Blaster in the rehearsal room. You know, so I got the tape, you know, in the post, cassette. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder what it's going to be like. Is it going to be more slash and burn or more motorcycle emptiness? I wonder what it's going to be like. <laughs> and then Patrick Bateman is a six-and-a-half-minute Metallica homage that contains yeah. the lyric, yeah, yeah. I fucked God up the arse in it. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, why haven't it's I heard a... this song? Yeah, this is one we, we haven't heard yet, isn't it? And I was like... It's a B-side. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite the left turn. So we yeah. went off and we did we did that. Um, and we had a fair bit of time to do it as well. And, and it did sort of sound like Metallica. And I took it away. And I think... Um, initially, um, they thought, oh, that was an experiment that hadn't worked. And then when I did a mix of it... Really? Yeah, because I think the monitor mix was absolutely terrible. Oh, right. <laughs> it sounded like shite. <laughs> so, but then I, I was still a T-boy at the, t- at the time. I was still working at Conk Studios, at the Kink Studio. So I had access to a big desk and the tape machine and all of that. So I spent mm. some time and did a really good mix of it. And then they were like, oh, no, that works, actually. Um, and obviously that wasn't going to be the direction for their new record. So um, we then went and um, did some demos for Gold Against the Soul, uh, a really little demo, a little, little demo residential studio called House in the Woods. And we did From Despair yeah. to Where, and we did Latrice Desiderera, and we did um, uh, Roses, and um, and those demos turned out great. Uh, and so, yeah, and, and Rob Stringer, who is now the president of Sony, but was like the young A&R guy, at Columbia, um, bless him, he gave me the shot, you know, to wow. to do it, you know. That's very cool. It must, <laughs> I, like, I can't imagine not being daunted by that. Um, it was just mad. I mean, and the thing was, we, we then went, you're talking about should young bands be in big studios, you know, the the label then said, well, we're spending, we're, we're saving so much money on you, um, <laughs> we can, we can, <laughs> yeah. af- we can afford a posh studio. So we went to um, Hook End Manor, which is oh, yeah, out, you had like a whole, the whole outside house. Reading. It's like, you know, Richie's room had a full poster and like I, like mat, like themed bedrooms and a swimming pool and a gym. And like, I mean, I'd never, you know, it was 21 year old kid. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. This massive studio and like huge control room and stone room for the drums. And, like, and that I was is just proper like, like rock and roll excess, isn't it? Yeah. But and, and so, we, you know, I was just like, well, I'm going to try every idea I've ever had that I haven't been able to try. So we put 25 mics on the drum kit and, you know, and we just we had the time for me to basically learn how to do it quickly or 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 never work again. You know, yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Um, if you sort of then fast forward again to your work with them on uh resistance is futile i mean it's it's easier it's way quicker to list the albums that you haven't been involved with than it is to list the albums that you have so what are the albums that you haven't been involved with with the manics well uh so just um the bible yep uh i didn't do anything on the bible um 
uh, on Everything Must Go, I did um, No Surface or Feeling and Mixed Australia. On This Is My Truth, um, I did uh, If You Tolerate This and Be Natural and um, uh, and two others, Nobody Loved You and uh, My Little Empire. Um, and then Masses Against the Classes and then all of uh, Know Your Enemy and then nothing on Lifeblood. Um, and then all of Send Away the Tigers uh, and Postcards. Um, and then nothing. Uh, oh, and then I did some mixing on um, Rewind the Film. And then okay. nothing on uh, on um, Futurology. Uh, and then um, what's after Futurology? Riff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Resistance yeah. is future, and then yeah. and all the riff, yeah, uh, yeah. So, what are sort of like bearing in mind God Against the Soul, or you know, even earlier Motown Junk when you started working with them, and then Resistance is Futile? What are like some of the major differences in the ways that they now build and record an album? I mean, I suppose there's no com- no comparison, you know, in in terms of the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, like back then, they. They would have been, you know, James would have been coming up with some raw materials of riffs. And well, I mean, the similarities are that it's always started with a lyric, always. Right. There's, there has yeah. never been a bit of music other than the occasional instrumental that has existed before there's been a lyric. So whether it was Nicky and Richie, just Richie, or just Nicky, like there was always a, a size of A4, and the lyrics were always. Like there's quite often he'll put like lovely little pictures on them and stuff like that as kind of like little references for how he imagines it's going to be. But um, and so you know they're they're a little work of art in their in their self to be honest. And and then James will sort of, then when James gets that uh, he'll then work off of that kind of thing. So that's still the same. Um, but I suppose there would have been a much more sort of in a rehearsal room type stuff for for the, for like Motown Junk and. Um, uh, uh, and Generation Terrorists. Um, and then I right. think after that, they got into quite a lot of demoing, you know. And if that means going into a studio and, you know, obviously after about, um, after This Is My Truth, that's when they got their own kind of place. And and so having a studio as part of the writing process has definitely become very much a way that they do things, you know. Mm-hmm. You can hear that actually like, and I don't mean like in some kind of like, oh, you can hear that in the record. But I mean, you can literally hear that because they release all their demos with their albums now um, on like their deluxe <laughs> things. And their demos are like uh, better produced than some bands. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, some uh, bands final product. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes they're like because we've got we're very good friends with um, a brilliant string section down there um, called the Vulcan Strings. Um, yeah. And so and, and they'll do us favors. So sometimes if James is like, our string is going to work on this, for instance, then he might get them in, you know, just, like as a, not, not as a literal favor. Obviously, they're paid. But, you know, it's yeah, not so like those those strings that I hear on demos that uh, they're real strings. Some, yeah, sometimes. Oh, you know, if it's I like, always assumed that they'd be like MIDI or something. No, it's, it, 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 if it's like, is it going to work or, you know, how, you know, how are we going to? build our other parts around the arrangement how key is the arrangement going to be or something like that then yeah they might get um you know andy and the guys in to to try something out you know and it's a low pressure situation it's not like oh here are the strings they've got to be amazing yeah. you know what i mean it's like let's just try some just stuff text the and... quartet yeah exactly exactly <laughs> does that make it um that combined with their sort of 
you know, every making of documentary that I've seen that they release with some of the albums, they always start with like this bizarre like manifesto of what they want the album always. to be and what they don't want the album to be and things to try. And that coupled with the quite, in- by the sounds of it, intense demoing that they do, does that make your job as a producer sort of easier or does that actually make yeah, it I mean, harder because uh, certain things are locked in? Well, so, yeah, I mean, that can be a thing. But, but on the in in general... When you've got a band as good as they are, and they are a once-in-a-generation band, um, in, I, I think I can say that like them or loathe them, there's no band like the Manics. There's no band that has a number one about the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, um, yeah there's exactly. no There's no band that uh, has done so many of the things that they've done, you know, and that carries on for 13 albums doing it, continuously yeah. being r- ridiculously intelligent, ridiculously culturally relevant, ridic- you know, like they're, they're just a proper classic band you know when you have someone like that a a bunch of guys like that and you know then musicians of this standard as well um you are really trying to hear what's in their head and just make that happen you're not um walking in and saying guys this is how it's gonna be you know it's like (laughs) it's it's like you're trying you know i remember james played me um Everything Must Go, you know, the song when he'd just written it on acoustic guitar. You know, I didn't do that one. Mike Hedges did that one, and what a brilliant job he did. But but James had it all in his head. He was like, and this is what the drums are going to do, and this is what the strings are going to do. And it was just all there from the acoustic guitar kind of thing. So it's a case of, it's often a case of just, you know, seeing that in his head and or, or in all of that. You know, all of them are, are equally involved in all the production. But... Um, it's about but pulling it's kind it of up to you to sort of translate that, I'm guessing. Yeah, and sometimes it's sometimes more esoteric. You know, like um, when we were doing If You Tolerate This, he, James said to me, I want to sound like a comet going through the sky. And you've got to try Which has and... been a point of much discussion on this podcast, uh, actually. In what uh, way? Luke, Lucas and Steve not convinced that sounds anything like a comet going through the sky. Sorry, guys. They think that, they think that now, a comet... Now, <laughs> I can't say I've heard many comets in my time it's very true but like in armageddon <laughs> yeah which is which is because, a documentary because yeah. because they just had you know such a big hit with everything was everything must go um they they paid for me to go up on the virgin rocket um mm-hmm. yeah to yeah, ni- yeah. to near a comet oh, and, shit. I, and i can tell you that one nil factually <laughs> that that was exactly the sound of a comet going you, through you the sky your when you're up there wow yeah so wow. that's what it sounds like from space yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's why it sounds why. different that's yeah. the difference you oh. see you're thinking after it's come through the atmosphere there's a lot of filtering and no it's you know amazing yeah amazing Incredible I, can, I concede. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to hear that from someone. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So they said they wanted like uh, the sound of, of a comet screeching through the sky. Are you at that point like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Well, then, well, then we went for dinner. Um, right. And, okay. uh, and I had a chance to sort of think about it. And I just bought this, this old 70s synth. Um, that you could plug sounds into, uh, and so I was anxious to have a little play with that anyway, because that's that's always really good fun. So I think they went and watched something on the telly, and I grabbed um, Nick Naismith, who uh, plays keyboards with them live um, and is part of the family, and um, we we went back in the control room and in a low pressure environment. It's it's hard if the band are there watching everything all the time. Do you know what I mean? Because because mm. if you yeah. do something and it sounds crap, they just enjoy that so much. They'll just take the piss <laughs> so much, kind of thing. So it was good maybe that I was 
I was on my own and we could just plug plug boxes in and, and stick stuff through it. And when I plugged uh, his old uh, Wurlitzer um, electric piano into the into the old synth, um, it, you know, and I he played the chords and I twisted the knobs to make the the, the shift happen. Um, and it was just like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it like, yeah, is it not? I guess like them coming in with like that manifesto and then also Nikki talking about it in the press. Mm. Does it not give you a lot to live up to? Like, so I'm thinking about like postcards from a young man mm. when Nikki says, oh, this album's going to sound like heavy metal Motown. Are you not just like, oh, come on, Nicky. <laughs> <laughs> <You> really... <laughs> the last shot, of, what was it? The last shot of mass communication. Um, yeah, exactly. You just got to work for the song, you know, like let, let them take take all of all of the flack that will come with that. You know, like you've just got to try and make the song sound brilliant and, you know, they'll they'll take care of uh, of that stuff. I love that they say all that stuff is brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um they're they're a band that like like I say like they want to do heavy metal Motown, uh, they want to do an acoustic album, they want to do like a kraut rock record. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, is it is it easy to kind of what's 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 what what am I trying to say? To me, to my mind, right, that um, could either be very difficult because it means you're going into a session with kind of no idea of where they want to go apart from these scraps of manifesto well, we, sort of like we, stuff. We talk about it before we go in and you know yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if sometimes I've done the demos with them and sometimes um not, you know, and then I, but then I will have heard the demos. So there's there's a good and and there's always like a bunch of references. Like um they might you know the 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 end record very rarely sounds up and sounds very rarely ends up sounding anything like um, what we've been talking about as a reference, right? Okay. right. Um, but that's good, you know. It means you're not ripping something off. But there'll often be, um, you know, like I really like how the drums sound on this. I really like how the guitars sound on this. You know, um, mm. you know, and then we'll do our own thing with that. But it'll be, you just need it in the studio. You just, you know, you just need a kicking off point. Uh, I, you know, in theory, we're all relatively creative people. And so if you've got a thing to sort of, well, let's start, let's get a drum sound that's a bit like that and then see where it takes us and how that affects the part. And then that sound, how's that going to affect the next thing we do? And it just, as long as you've got a kickoff point, you just, you just roll with it, you know? Yeah, I, I suppose, like, you know, how, how adaptable do you have to kind of be, though? Like, I'm thinking, like, like on Know Your Enemy, for instance, where you're like, okay, well, today we're going to do Ocean Spray, and then tomorrow we're doing Miss Europa Disco Dancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Know Your Enemy was a pretty mad time um, because, you know, their indie snobbery had kicked in and they, <laughs> yes. they'd, they'd yeah, yeah, found yeah. themselves in the very middle of the mainstream, coming off of two number one singles and a two million selling album. And, you know, the press were writing about them as this, so they were the new Genesis and, you know, um, oh. They they found that hard to take. I can't um, imagine, imagine they liked that very much. <laughs> no, and so although they, although actually James loves Genesis, you know. But I mean, you know, in terms of their position in the enemy universe, yes. kind of thing, you know. And uh, yeah, there was a, there was definitely a uh, a reaction against anything sounding in the slightest bit slick or. Um, so or that good. was a very deliberate sort of thing because. <laughs> Well, because very specifically, I love 
Know Your Enemy. Like that's one of my favorite Manix records. Oh wow, okay. And it's there's loads it's somewhat it's somewhat of a black sheep amongst Manix there's, fans. There's and indeed <laughs> and indeed this podcast yeah. where I think I mean, I'm the look, only one who actively likes it. Well, I mean whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Found that Disco Opa Disco Dancer. Disco that... Opa Disco Dancer is my favourite Manic song. Wow. <laughs> that goes on the record, just like that to be known. Wow, okay. That so doesn't matter what I think of any of the rest of the album. That's because it contains my favourite Manic song. choice. It's so... But I mean... Oh, yeah, you I mean, hear my top 10, Dave. It is <laughs> ridiculous. I love Miss Europa. I mean, and, and it's a testament to James's incredible ability as a guitar player. He just acquired the ability to do that kind of finger picking overnight, virtually. Um... It's amazing the playing on that. Uh, I think "Found That Soul" is is brilliant. I think it's all brilliant, Dave. <laughs> yeah, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the what's the dinosaur junior one that begins with I? Uh, Intravenous agnostic. Yes, I love that. There's a real there's yeah. a real freedom to that one. Yeah, there's there's a lot of freedom all over that album. <laughs> that is the sound of a band. Look, Ocean Spray is, reached, is a you know Ocean Spray is a heartbreakingly beautiful song. Um, it really is. James's yeah. first lyric. Um, I don't know how I got through us doing the vocal on that. I think I was very focused in a technical way and just making him comfortable and stuff like that. It was years later when he did um, he did a gig at the Barfly in London for his solo record. Yeah. And um, when he when he played that one, it just all hit me at once, and I was just in pieces. It was just... a very personal song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Mm. Right. Yeah, good. yeah. That is that is uh, definitely a standout. Like even if you don't know your enemy, even if you don't like know your enemy, a lot of people like Ocean Spray. Yeah, totally. Oh, it yes. sort of transcends yeah. that album a little bit. Without a doubt. Um, was there a, um, a conversation? around know your enemy that they deliberately wanted to be almost be a bit self-destructive when releasing Definitely. that record because that's they, certainly from coming from us how me and lucas haven't heard it hadn't heard it before so we were just discovering it doing this podcast after hearing what's what comes before it, this is my truth yeah, yeah. That gigantic record for them just to release this mad double i don't even know what to <laughs> describe yeah i mean they could have done they could have done everything must go to electric boogaloo yeah and then went <laughs> no what is the fun in that they yeah. really did. They really did. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah, it was a very conscious um, turn to the indie. Mm. What is it that you think makes them like that? Because, like Lucas said, it would have been really easy to do to just keep doing. This is my truth, and it probably would have been very successful. They're ridiculously articulate musically. Um, mm. it, like their knowledge of Echo and the Bunnymen B sides too obscure Motown to um, you know, post-punk rarities to, uh, the, to the politics that joins all those things to Poison or Guns N' Roses and knowing all of it and being inspired by all of it. Um, you know, and you know, obviously like Zeppelin and the Pistols and the Clash, it, you know, all of this stuff just comes together. And like, you know, Nicky knows the chart position of every record released from about 1965 to about 1995. Like, he, did, <laughs> he, he literally poured over the Guinness Book of, uh, you know, the Guinness Book of records records you know um, i can't remember what they called it they they released it every year and he would pour over the stats in there there he's a ridiculous stats nerd i mean he's the same with like he can tell you who the left back for nottingham forest was in 1930 you know whatever you know (laughs) ridiculous he just he's just he's got that brain you know and so all of those references they just come together and i suppose as as they're listening to different stuff um in any one given time, you know, um, those are the things that are going to bubble up. 
you know, and they're going to then follow that, you know. I mean, long before Spotify, they were, they were, you know, making themselves playlists, you know. I mean, their, their, their thing was... Um, uh, they, they're obviously big Nirvana fans, you know. They obviously love Nirvana. But they, mm. they went through a period of deciding they didn't like Nirvana because it, it, it allowed... Um, thick metal twats like me to like cool music because <laughs> they were like you know in the 80s you had to listen to john peel and you had to like buy records by mail order that you just that you hadn't heard or just uh, that you know because you thought that you would like them kind of thing and um <laughs> and so they are they those people up. you know they are ridiculously articulate musically like on a level that uh, you know you won't come across in another band I, I love that they make up those little rules for themselves as well. Like you're not allowed to like Nirvana. Uh, you're not allowed any girlfriends. That was one of the early ones. No, it's no no girlfriends in the studio. Oh, they just you know it is it is a um, a place of work. They're very into like a you know I think one of the you asked me why they keep coming back to me. It's because I'm happy to work stupid hours. Uh, right. Yeah. They they they, they do. There's the proper working class work ethic to to our team, you know. We, we, yeah, we've heard we, a lot about like four a.m. guitar sessions with James and lots, stuff like that. Loads, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. I mean, on Gold Against the Soul, I mean, and I was only trying. I couldn't do this now, but um, it's a weird story. With like Hook M Manor is five hundred year old manor house. I have no belief in ghosts or anything like that. I just don't. <laughs> okay, but, good. That's um, I don't think dead people come back, but whatever and so we're in this 500 year old manor house and it was the first night and uh so james closed his door um closed the curtains turned out light right so he woke up the next morning you know curtains opened light on and he thinks that's a bit bit much like a cleaner's come in or something and you know opened the fucking curtains you know and turned the light on it's a bit much so the next night he you know locks his door Shuts his curtain, turns out his light, and the next morning, open curtains, light on, and light, and he starts to not, <laughs> he starts to not want to go to bed until it's light. But oh Nicky and but Nicky and Sean would want to be in the studio working at like ten, but I couldn't go to bed till six because James <laughs> wouldn't go to bed till it was light. So we were doing eighteen-hour days, seven-day weeks. We had one, we had one day off after um, two weeks, where I said, you know, I'd like to go and see my girlfriend now, please. Um, and, uh, and I did and they all went back to Wales for like one night and they came back and James was like oh it's got me out of the vibe that I just don't want to do that again so we were there for, we were there for nine weeks and we did seven seven day weeks and it was 18 hour days every day wow. that's insane which is that's a lot crazy. It's too yeah long. it really is I'm, yeah. I'm assuming I mean, that's not you come out of that anymore. with no perspective whatsoever at all obviously you know based on, <laughs> yeah. based on sound yeah, is that still the case or have they sort of you know settled into maybe more of a family friendly routine Monday to Friday night Def- I mean yeah yeah recently I mean with you know James's two young kids um, mm. uh, Nicky's kids are a bit older like mine um, uh, but yeah so there's a little bit more um, but he's you know he still likes the the chasing it down at night thing it'll be sean and nick do go home um yeah me and james not so <laughs> and much just leave going. james to it halfway yeah, through for, a take, yeah chasing down stuff you know <laughs> what is an example of something he chased down or had to chase down we did international blue in one very very quick demo session um uh, uh, so when you say chase down, you're sort of like, I've got this flash and it needs to be yeah. put out now or I'm going to lose it. Yeah. And, oh, and it was, okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
that was like we did we did we because we'd done other versions of that song um there was one with like a simple minds drum sample um, built around it was sort of industrial thing and and he just kept saying no it can be better no it can be better and just scrapping it and rewriting the song and then that one came and it was he was just like can you go out and do this on the piano and and then uh there's a bar of five four and you've got to try and make the drums work just, and yeah, um just a just a little bar of five four in there yeah. <laughs> if, you could, um, if you could just make that work please do and, and, <laughs> and yeah and it was it was it was like a little musical equation that song and then it sort of came together and it was like oh shit that's really good isn't it well, where's the bar of five four? This is very specific. Uh, I didn't want to get this specific. One, two, three, four, five. It's it's in the chorus. This is like the first the first bar. I didn't even. Do you know what? That sounds so natural. It sounds so natural that you you don't yeah. hear it. But yeah, it is. It's it's clever. There's a key. Like, there's a key change at the end as well, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like yes, yeah. is a bar of seven and a bar of eight, a bar of seven and a bar of eight, and you never it never feels unnatural, but it's. And James it just gives you that sort of uneasy feeling, doesn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after, like, obviously, you're very close and friendly with the Manics. It's more than just a working relationship. So after 30 years, is it then sort of easy to become a little bit complacent when you're working with them? Not with them. <laughs> <laughs> so there's never a moment where you're like ah oh, well okay I, you know, James, this is my James bread and butter the, it's just James another in particular album. has a, a supernatural ability to put a friend's relationship aside once the working relationship is back on how <laughs> <laughs> um, so or just he just you know he is you know I, I think I like to think I get good stuff out of them and they definitely get the best out of me because they know how to motivate me um right. and he'll you know he knows what buttons to press to make me do the four in the morning you know yeah i don't know why there's something <laughs> there's something about them that you just want to impress them you just want to push <laughs> and do something good you know because they're really good you know yeah. <laughs> i mean we've yeah. heard from greg his very last minute request is that a similar situation for you where he'll just say to greg like oh, i want can you come and do this with a week's notice is it kind of the same with you? Where he'll just go, can we get in the studio next week? Because I want to, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. crack on with something. Yeah. Oh, sure. I'll just try everything. I'll just jump this. Get away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're aware of their value, and yeah. and, yeah. and they are yeah, happy yeah. to and they are happy to uh, use that uh, that credit. A similar relationship <laughs> I have with Adam and Steve, actually. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we're at your, at your beck and call, uh, yeah. <laughs> twenty four hours a day. No, I don't. No. Um, so how is it then working with a band that you're very friendly and familiar with mm. and then taking on an album with like somebody you've not met before working with them? Well, it's just, what, I like... mean, my relationship with the Manics is enormously different to any other relationship I have with a band in the studio because because it was built when I was a T-boy. So yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, everybody's relationship is built around the, the environment that you first meet in, isn't it? Mm. So yeah. I'm always on my back foot with them. I'm just, I'm the little brother, you know, with, with everything that entails. There's lots of love and there's lots of like brutality. <laughs> yeah. What have been some of the most brutal sessions for you? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> it's all okay, been wine and roses. Been, what have been some of the nicest sessions? Like when you look back on your career with the Manics, and I'm and like I'm sure you, you are going to continue working with them. But if you were to look um, back now, what would you kind of highlight? Send away the tigers was was felt great. That is exactly what Greg said. It was, it was, that was just a, it was a good time. 
and the songs were great and you know they had a really clear idea of what they wanted to achieve um we did it in um in uh, a studio right in the middle of ireland um so mm. we were really remote bizarrely uh, michael jackson was in the studio next door um with um rodney jerkins um what were they what were they doing you were um, on a remote island with michael jackson no in in ireland not a remote <laughs> island oh sorry <laughs> well, well, i heard you were on a remote um, island a, no it's a studio called grouse lodge if you look if you look at a if you look at a map of ireland and you put a dot in the middle that's where it was wow. and the thing with this studio is it's 10 miles down the road from the guinness family's mansion and you know how much better guinness is in dublin than it is in right. than it is in london Sure. Well, this studio got the Guinness family's Guinness, right. and it's oh, that yeah. much better again. And there was just a, an honesty tap where you could just go in and get a pint of Guinness, and you just no. wrote your name in the book, and it went on the bill sort of thing. Amazing. Um, and how honest was James? They don't. I mean, they they have really. They they're not. Um, you know, James went through a time when he when he liked to drink, but not in the studio ever. Never in the studio. They, they have a really, really, really defined work ethic. It's like, yeah, it's the the weird dichotomy of um, them being a rock and roll band and them being have, having that real like work. Yeah, but it's that it's, thing. It's very you odd, know, useless, useless generation. The only people we respect are our fathers. You know, like, that was the whole thing at the beginning, wasn't it? You know, they would they would. You know, at the time they came out at the time of the second summer of love, and they were like issuing all of that and saying fuck that. You know, they never took any drugs ever. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's just it's 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 the antithesis of rock and roll, you know. Well, it's just but how you define rock and roll, isn't it? They uh they they destroyed rock and roll also. <laughs> famously, so. Yeah, yeah, famously. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, looking at them now, uh, they they have a quite an, quite an odd place in the cultural landscape. I think. They are. I. I personally think they're one of the most interesting bands to come out of uh, the UK. Yeah. Uh, if 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 not one of the most interesting bands in the world. Yeah. But their cultural cachet has sort of declined over time. Um. Certainly in sort of the eyes of the mainstream. Yeah. Um. I, I was I was listening to an interview with Nicky the other day, and he was talking about the middle period of the Beatles in the eighties or Bowie in the nineties. Um, and it was before they were kind of reappraised and then perhaps more like widely appreciated. Mm. You know, it was very difficult to be a Bowie fan in the 90s, right? Um, Until he did the Jungle record. Hmm. Little wonder, um, little wonder, <laughs> little wonder, it's a good record. <laughs> Nicky has said that uh, like he hopes that that happens to the Mannix. Um, do you think it will? Or do you think it even needs to? It's something that's so hard for me to have a perspective on because I've been so wrapped up in everything they've done, um, either as a um, either as part of it or just because they're such good friends. So, like when we when they did the uh, the O2 shows with thirty six singles, um, yeah, it was just intensely emotional because like every single one of those songs was a moment in my life you know whether it was a good moment yeah. or a bad moment like every single one just took me straight back to a time and a place whether it was in the studio recording the song or james playing me design for life for the first time and just shitting my pants and you know just like weird weird reaction dave 
<laughs> I was very poorly at the time. <laughs> um, you know, or, or whatever, like every single one of them. So to me, um, I haven't got a perspective on their on their place in culture, if if you know what I mean, because it's mm. all been so profound for me personally. Um, mm. So it's hard to. Um, I mean, there was certainly obviously I'm aware now uh, that if you said you were, you know, back in 2000, everybody knew who they were, and now if yeah. I, you know, my son's 20, um, and uh, if if one of his friends, for instance they might not have heard of them at all you know yes i work with some uh 20 years 20 year old people who've never heard of manic street preachers mm. and yeah, if course. i then say well what about design for life or if you tolerate they go oh yeah that 90s band yeah exactly yeah so you know do you think that's something that's specific to the band or do you think that's just the general appetite for rock music i, I mean i suppose days? it's part but you know partly a function of they never went away you know what I mean? Like mm. so many of the bands, they didn't have the gl- the glorious reformation. Exactly. Yeah, they've yeah. just always done good work. You know, which it, it's and it's hard to just keep coming back and create impact every time. Do you know what I mean? That's uh, true. Yeah. I mean, there just aren't many bands that get to album thirteen. You know, going yeah. into album four, they're just you know you can count them. Let alone get into album thirteen and and being surprised every time, which I definitely have been. Well, that's like every time, like it, it's yeah. different. They're, they're do- trying something different every single time. They haven't found a groove, and I, I do respect them for that reason. Yeah, it's. Um... I can't even think of any bands that are sort of like in the early stages of their career now that I can see lasting thirteen albums. Yeah, well, Arctic Monkeys. But also, yeah, it's not sure. just thirteen always... albums. It's thirteen albums in not that larger stretch of time. I think that if they have any regrets, it's having not done more in that stretch of time. Really? I don't know. See how it's possible to have done more. It's 30 years. It's 30 years. I mean, the Beatles did 10 albums in, what, eight? But if if they go to, like... (laughs) If the Manics go to, like, the Stones age, where they're... 75 years old and still playing... Nicky's still strutting. By then, they'll be on, like, album, like, 22... Or something like fucking. How many albums would they have gotten to in that amount of time? Because they yeah. just didn't stop. Yeah, that's only that's only like twenty years away, though. You know, like <laughs> it's not outside <laughs> of the realm of possibility. Yeah. No, for sure, for sure. I mean, certainly, obviously, Neil Young's done loads more records, and you know, the Stones mm. have done loads more records. And uh, I mean, I think it got to the point where um, the the Super Furries had done almost as many records as them. And they'd obviously been doing it for a short period of time. And I just remember Nicky right. saying, you know, like, I wish we'd been able to do more, you know. Hmm. Oh, that's, At that's one point, I remember him saying, he might not feel like that now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I just, I always compare them to like bands that have started around the same time. And I suppose, like, it's weird to think of them as contemporaries, but they literally started in the same year, which is Radiohead. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and Radiohead have done what nine albums Mm, that's true but radiohead is a hard um it's hard to be radiohead (laughs) yes i imagine it's quite hard to be Radiohead. and it's weird it's weird you mention their contemporaries because i do not consider them in the same time frame but they both they both explode you know their explosion years were concurrent Mm. like everything was going seven and um uh, and this is my truth was ninety six and ninety eight and okay computer was ninety seven right so it's, those are the yeah. 
the explosion same, years. Same reference it? points as well of like Pixies and Nirvana and um, those kind of bands that informed like the first couple of Radiohead albums. Probably informed the first couple of Manix albums as well. It, it is weird to think of them as as intertwined because their careers have taken such yeah. different paths and you and know Radiohead is so posh yes exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah they're very much not working hard. <laughs> you can't imagine tom wearing an i love hoovering t-shirt to pick up a brick can you yeah <laughs> um both equally bro i mean i love radio I, you know the, the benz is one of my very favorite records of all time it's just one of those ones that every time i put it on it astounds me again Mm. Radio Radiohead are a strange beast as well. I've only recently discovered Radiohead, haven't I, Adam? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I sort of got into them last year because Adam's talked about them for years since I've known Adam for a very long time, mm. and uh, I've always it's always been one of those bands that your mate keeps going on about you on to you about, and you just kind of go, I don't want to listen to that. Yeah, weren't you mildly <laughs> resistant purely because yeah. it was almost like it's too yeah. much? Like, yeah. stop going on about them. Yeah. Please. And then, and I listened to them last year, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this critically acclaimed band's really good." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who would have thunk so, it? Who so that's my hot take, Dave. Radiohead are quite good. <laughs> the um, the mad thing was at the time, the press, you know, when they did Pablo Honey, you know, which is not, you know, which is definitely their weakest record, kind of thing. Um, yeah. The press hated them because um, EMI had found them, and they weren't, they didn't, they hadn't gone through the NME approved sequence of events which was the enemy find them playing right. a shit gig they they played about like them. they played like seven gigs before they were signed to yeah EMI, exactly uh, and and so you know when every time you saw radiohead written about it was always in relatively scornful terms and then creep just felt like a one-hit wonder kind of thing yeah. and it exploded in america and they sold two million of pablo honey and it was amazing but and creep was obviously brilliant but they definitely had this feel of a one-hit wonder. And I remember James calling me. I lived in Barking at the time. Um, and I remember the phone call, him saying, have you, heard, have you heard the new Radiohead record? And me going like, Radiohead? Really? <laughs> and he said, just go and buy it. And it was wow. just like, oh, shit, a brick. <laughs> That's a, such yeah. a good... I mean, I think, I think the Benz has, has weathered... It's not their fault, but because OK Computer was so influential... Mm. Um, so many people ripped it off, whereas the Benz, I think, still stands alone in this. Just is just still sounds so modern and hot and fucking brilliant. Lots of people tried to rip off the Benz. I mean, you don't get um, you don't get Coldplay or or Muse True. or Travis without True. the Benz, you know. True, and and probably for I some reason it well, seems to have, it seems lot. to have um, uh, it's it it seems less of its time. It seems more timeless than OK Computer to me. Oh, that's very interesting. I have the opposite opinion. Hmm. <laughs> Welcome to, to our podcast. At <laughs> tweet at me. <laughs> I don't think of I don't think of Radiohead of, of being of any time. I just really They're yeah. Just that's that's an, why that's why an I think eternal of, being. Yeah, that's why I can't think of them as contemporary of Manix because I'm like they weren't. They're, they're not. They don't sound like they're around in the '90s. They just sound like Radiohead. Who? Yeah, they're they It's pretty nice. It's the Benz at the end of the day. It's like ripping off Nirvana and you know, and Jeff Buckley. Yeah, both <laughs> iconic '90s acts. Yeah. Everyone's just ripping off everybody. Yeah, of course, and, and that's good. <laughs> All property theft, man. <laughs> um, what do you think that the Mannix legacy will ultimately be if they do decide to to hang up the guitars? Just this extraordinary body of of intelligence, um, of uh, 
subtle politics, um, like constantly talking about the dignity of the working class. Um, you know, um, I, I just I just think that you know anyone that really digs into them and the things that they say and the words that they write is just going to be scorched with uh, proper intelligence. Yeah, I've I've heard James say that like. Well, I've heard Nikki say that they've probably inspired more people into further education than they have bands. <laughs> and I I've think heard, that's probably I've heard true. Ja- <laughs> and I've heard James say that that um, there's never been like a, a famous band that cited them as an influence, um, which I think are both very telling things. Yeah, now that's a weird one, isn't it? That is a weird one. Hmm. But then how do you, like, I mean, when whenever the stereophonics were written about, you know, um, in the mid-90s, uh, or sorry, the, a little bit later, wasn't it, for them? Um, so, like, in 99, say, stereophonics, massive band. Every single time they got written about, it was the meat and potatoes manics. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, if you're going to, like, I don't know if you would want to try and take on writing a lyric like Design for Life. Who's going to do that? Yeah. Who's right. Gonna do, yeah. Who's yeah. going to write a lyric like "Faster," a song about uh, about intellectual arrogance? Who's who's going to write a lyric like "I spat out Pleth and Pinder"? No one's going to do it. It's not, you know, you are just a one-off at that point. So, do you think people are taking influence but are too scared to mention it in case? They <laughs> I, I think I do think loads of loads of bands have been influenced by the Holy Bible. Definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I have. Not not all of them are massive. Like, do you know what I mean? No, like, no. It's like true. it's true. I, I think it's true for James to say that there hasn't been like a you know million selling band um, that 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 cites the Mannix as the primary influence. But I think they've inspired shitloads of bands. Um, but I think I think that 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 speaks to their place in in the world of music and the musical landscape is that they are the band that are sort of always there, working as hard as they can. They're reliable and and they they just keep going and they keep putting out makes stuff them that sound is constantly so boring surprising. no 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 you <laughs> let me finish they keep putting out stuff that is constantly surprising mm. so if i was like if someone told me like oh i'm influenced by manic street preachers i'd have to say like which year yeah of, of course street preachers yeah. is it that you're influenced by because they've released 13 different records and i would say that there's like 11 or 12 different styles in there yeah. you know there's not many of their albums that sound similar to one another no um so, so what does the new stuff sound like, Dave? <laughs> just play it if you want. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll just, just, uh, <laughs> yeah just put it on. <laughs> no, there's definitely they've, they've, they've definitely got into their writing groove now. But um, yeah, and there is there is a one sentence manifesto sort of thing. But I, I'll let them uh, do that. Uh, no, you don't want it. <laughs> I, 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 I said, they, they'd kill me. Yeah, yeah, they probably would. Yeah. <laughs> um. But it's but it's going okay. I've heard that there's a track called Orwellian, which is yeah, there, yeah, there is yeah. Sort of Orwellian's really good, light. really good, really really good. And I've I've heard them use the words expansive, which I'm not really sure what it means. It doesn't mean anything, does it? I mean, Adam, <laughs> okay, <great>. Adam you've <laughs> described the Manix music as widescreen, so you can fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's actually that's I mean, actually look, the band describing it as well. Design, well, design is widescreen. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Everything was going widescreen. <laughs> it means it means it's like cinematic. That's what it means. It means it's cinematic. Cinematic, yes. So is the new stuff 4K then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. IMAX. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I wouldn't say. Uh, 
Uh, no, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> no, okay. Any, <laughs> okay. Any disco? Not going to say anything. Is there a song <laughs> called, <laughs> is, is there a song called Mr. Okay. Europa Disco Dancer? <laughs> there is. It's a sequel. The long-awaited sequel to their greatest The long achievement. Of everybody. There are literally dozens of people that want that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And I count myself as eight of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's actually super exciting that they are like uh, working on working on new material. They are sort of. I just I just like that there is never a question of is there going to be a new Manix record, and it's always just a case of when. Uh, that's well, there will be one day. Like there will be one day. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking back again. I tasked you with the almost impossible task of creating a Mannix top 10. So I skirted it and did a top 10 extra tracks. So I allowed myself anything that wasn't on an album. Yeah. So we've got B-sides or like, yeah, like non-album tracks, right? Rarities, non-album tracks. That's cool. Not a lot of people pick the theme. What what have we had? We've had, um, so, uh, you know the Welsh music podcasts. Yeah, um, we had Neil from that show on, and he did the top ten um, Welsh manic songs, sort of like songs that inspire or remind him of Wales. Uh, we had Simon Price who did album tracks. Okay. Uh, we had Michael Sheen who did sixteen or seventeen tracks in his top ten. <laughs> we had we had Terry Hall who I've, um, I've got fifteen actually. Put, put in whole albums into her top 10 um <laughs> wow wow okay all of this is my truth is in the top yeah like, 10. like number three this is my truth whatever yeah <laughs> wow and then we had greg who was greg was going to do top 10 tracks that he'd produced it's so <laughs> but bad. then he uh, but then he bottled it he bottled that <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> Greg's greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> so, shall we start? Okay. Did I just hear you say you've got fifteen? Because I will not stand for any kind of cheating or <laughs> extra tracks being put in, or oh, unless you your name's Michael Sheen or Terry Hall. No, oh, there is, yeah, <laughs> there is a little bit of cheating. There is a little bit of cheating, actually. Um, kind of. Oh, um, Lord. As in, okay, two of them. Fine. Two of them are from uh, solo records. One Nicky, one James. Oh, boo. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but they're great Lost Manic songs, you see. That's why, because they're great Lost Manic songs that should, you know, that maybe should have been Manic songs. Interesting. Okay, let's go. Let's go from 10 to 1, assuming that they're I haven't got them in order. an order. I can't do that. Let's just, let's just start wherever, start wherever well, so, you like. Uh, so, the first one, Prologue to History. Cool. Cool I mean, song. it's just a fucking brilliant song. It, How do you feel about the fact that they've now put it on the album? Oh, of course they have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's sort of already a fucked up. Yeah. yeah. You've already cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me which album that was. The very first. It's, this is my truth. But it was the B side. Yeah. It was the B side of If You Tolerate This. Uh, or yeah, the first B side. Replacing of if you this. Um, Nobody Loved You on the. Uh, on the remaster, yeah. which I understand. Oh, which is 100% you know. the right thing. 100% the right thing. It's. A, I mean, it, it could easily have been a single, let alone a fucking album track, and it was a B-side. I agree with that. I, I, think, I think it's a better song than Nobody Loved You. I don't Without think it any shadow of a doubt. second to last on the album, though. You don't like it in the sequence? I don't like it in the sequence. I think. If yeah, it needs to be. Yeah, it should be in the first half. Rejig an album, rejig it. It should be in the first half. 
It feels energetic mm, yeah. in the first half kind of thing. Also, Adam, don't you dislike just inserting songs into albums full stop because you... I, I don't, don't like revisionist history. You don't uh, like revisionist <laughs> history? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't like it. I, think, I, I don't uh, know. Yeah. I think they can, um, they can feel okay. like they... May. I mean, I think that was a pretty profound mistake um, to take that song um, and make it a B-side. You know, yeah, definitely. I also think, yeah, like as profound a mistake as um, having a song called Forever Delayed, releasing oh, a mean... compilation called Forever Delayed, and then having Forever Delayed the song as a B-side. <laughs> <laughs> well, which brings me on to my second choice. I mean, Forever Delayed uh... is a fucking brilliant song. And it's also a brilliant it's record. So it's the only song they ever did with Steve Osborne, who's a brilliant producer. Uh, he did a magnificent job on it. It sounds insanely loud. That song. It's like it's it's a really mm, yeah. It's a really brilliant mix. Uh, I love the song. I love the sounds on the song. And yeah, it was just ma- I, mad that they didn't. I know, right? It's 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 the uh, like it's the previously unreleased track on a B sides compilation. And they spent a week in the studio with a really brilliant producer doing it as well. They spunked a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that's I, good though I, like you know I like that it exists only for people who are going to dig deep yes you know what like, like, like a part of me likes that yeah I know what you mean I know what you mean and their their career is peppered with these things that, that, that you know it's like they're ticking boxes you know like the single that was a big hit that was between the albums you know like the, the box is ticked mm. you know um, the Christmas song yeah, 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 the football song. The football song. They're all in there. They're doing all of these things that like classic bands do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like they're, they're really aware of their place in uh, history, if you like, um, yeah. and yeah, have always yeah, been aware sure. of, of of how they want to be perceived, um, and of doing all the things that you know that they consider that a classic band should have done. You know. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. So we've got prologue history. We've got forever delayed. We got. Um, uh, we've got Grace of God because I did a. This was a time when I messed up. Um, they had done. Okay. They had done uh, uh, there by the grace of God, um, and it was at a time when um, the fashion was for songs to be quite linear, um, for the chorus to just come, but not necessarily explode in a sort of um, Nirvana-y way, if you like. Uh, right. And they'd done this very sort of cool version you know there was the version that they released you know and i was like i i really don't think this is right i really think it should be like you know but especially because it's going on it was on the greatest hits right and mm-hmm. i was like yeah. i really think it should be like classic manic sounding i think it should be soaring strings i think it should be you know um but the record company had already said this is this is how it's going to be this is this is what it needs to be and I dug in in a way in which I shouldn't have dug in, and they gave me the rope to hang myself, and I, I persuaded the string section to do it on the on the sly, and and I did this other version of Grace of God that I still love to this day, that was, that has all you know, the chorus comes in like a mother, and the strings soar, and it's brilliant, and um, it wasn't popular at the record company that I'd um, wow. that I'd done really, that. and I don't think that was a very clever move for my career. Oh. <laughs> And no one has ever heard that. This no day, one's right? ever That's heard the it, first no. I've ever heard of that even existing. Yeah, it's um, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's a shame. It is a shame. Disgusting. Um, I, yeah. So in so in your top ten, are you putting the version of their 
There by the Grace of God that was released, or your secret version? The secret the version, <laughs> absolutely. The secret okay, version. Secret. Yeah. Okay, brackets. Absolutely. Brackets. The secret secret version. version. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and okay. I love. It. I mean, I do love the song anyway. I really do. I, they don't. They don't like it. No, they went off it. Greg likes it, but then of course he, um, you know, it's one of the songs that he worked on, and um, yeah, a bunch of people. I mean, like Marius Debrace hit, worked so, on yeah. it. Mike worked on it. Um, it was that time when, when <laughs> there was just never-ending sessions of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds um, confusing. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. They they worked on that song for a long, long time. And so I think me coming along at the end and saying I think it should be like this when everybody else had said, "Oh no, it's finished," was perhaps not the wisest thing that I could have done. so so far on your top 10 of non-album tracks we've got for a little history which is on one of the albums now yeah we've got forever delayed and then we've got a song that doesn't exist yeah so (laughs) it does exist i mean mean, if it doesn't exist it is categorically not on an album that's true definitely um uh and then we've got um so we're going into uh so dead trees and traffic islands good song i always loved that i always loved that song i always really i remember the time you know doing those b-sides for design for life in um in the studio uh in cardiff that isn't there anymore uh that was called um well it was called sound space when they did the holy bible there and then it was called yeah um oh god my memories then when greg stir? owned it um faster was it called, was it called stir no stir that that stir was what became faster um sound space became Big noise. Big noise. Big noise. Yeah. So oh, we're in, big in there noise. somewhere. I think that was the session when I first met Greg, actually. So, and it was in 1995, stroke six. It must have been 96. Wow. Must have been 96. And Design for Life was was all done, and we were doing the B sides for it. And I just, you know, there was obviously a good energy, you know, because they knew the record yeah. was brilliant. And, and so everything. Oh, yeah. was... Imagine having a Design for Life just waiting, it's just in your back pocket, and you know you've recorded it. I remember having a drink Ooh. with James that night um, uh, and him saying, if this isn't good enough, I just don't know what is kind of thing. I don't know what I'll yeah, do about this yeah, isn't good that's, enough. That really does sum that up. That's, yeah, um, I can completely and, get and that it was feeling. good enough. Yeah. It was good um, enough. But yeah, but that's, the idea. I, you know, and I just loved the idea at Dead Trees and Traffic Islands and the flute and the, like... I was going to say, is just, it the one with the flute? Yes, I, I was about yeah. to say, for Stephen Lucas, who might not necessarily remember everything by title, that's the one with the very cheeky flute. Yeah, cheeky little Mellotron flute. flute. Off, off, yeah. of, off of the beat, off the beat, off of uh, the beat size. Yeah, yeah, and it's right, it's very yeah. it's very fleet of yeah. foot. And at a time when they were doing sort of big, bombastic, you know, um, arena-filling music, it was just nice that they were also doing this, you know kind of Bacharach influenced you know mm. um little things you know there were there were great b-sides on design for life it was um dead trees and traffic islands mr carbohydrate and um oh, what, a, oh, what a banger it is a banger <laughs> um and Ballad horses of... under starlight is a is a favorite of mine oh that, sepia sepia yeah that was on um everything was going b-sides wasn't it yeah um oh, yeah no they're great they're great so yeah uh so that one, um, and then I I did put um, together stronger in there because it's just so fun to have done a football song because I just don't like football at all. <laughs> so, so we haven't actually talked about that yet. That is on our docket for the Resistance is Futile era. Yeah, that, um, sort of, I suppose. Well, yeah, it's I did when when we break stuff like that up, it's difficult to know when to do it. So like, Masses Against the Classes was included in Know Your Enemy, um, and. That mate, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like more, like 
yeah 2016 to 2018 that is a very weird song dave <laughs> well because it's i mean you're right you know at that point they're writing a song to order for the welsh football league football yeah football well Association. that's true do you know what i mean but also like, so... it, all, it all sort of fell apart like halfway through the process right well, what we actually did was we record. I mean, and I have this. Want, I have this. It was supposed on to be my, a cover, right? This is another one that doesn't exist, right? That is on my list. So we did a full, really brilliant version of um, "Can't Take My Eyes Off You," which is Welsh, uh, which yeah. which they sing at the Welsh football matches. Yes, but but with the lyrics of "Together Stronger." But with the lyrics of "Together Stronger," and and like we did it with the strings and the brass, and it's really great, and it suits James's voice. Voices it suits James's voice so well, mm. it's brilliant. Uh, and then, of course, we found out that you're not allowed to change a single syllable in in yeah, that song. You're not allowed to the do publishers that. were just like, "You must be kidding!" <laughs> wow. And so Getting we had that far into so the process. I actually have this in my list. It's like our version of "Yeah, yeah." Can't take my eyes off you. Okay, version. so that's and yours. I really okay, hope exactly. to Secret talk version. them into just. I, do, I really hope to talk James into just putting a vocal on it. You know, with the original lyric and just putting it out for fans or something at some point because it's just a brilliant. Just, it's, it's a lovely stick version. it on SoundCloud. Just stick it on SoundCloud. Yes. Yeah. All of these things, the secret version of there by the grace of God, just put them all on SoundCloud. Put it on SoundCloud, just, yeah. And just accidentally leak them and then yeah. and then put the kettle on while I wait yeah. for Sony's lawyers to turn up at my front. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll, the, the stuff that the we'll Manics are recording you. right now, the stuff the Manics are recording right now, just put it on SoundCloud. Just pop it in. Pop it in. Yeah. Just, uh, just upload that. So yeah, so I mean, and it was it was just great fun to do. It was just great fun to do. It was a happy session. You know, and they were. Yeah, I can they imagine. Were, it, they were the music excited. video looks like a lot of fun as well. Yeah, I wasn't there, but yeah, it does. Yeah. No, no, no. But, but I, it's just a fun song, you know. Yeah, and they just—they yeah. were so excited for what was happening with you know with the football team and stuff. And that was, oh, bless you know, them! That's so they, nice. They love sport <laughs> so much, like to an insane level, really. When when um, when Wales won in the rugby, run the uh, Grand Slam, James was just. He's so elated. He's like, I, I'd trade both my number ones for this. I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it means That's so nice. much to him. Don't do that, James. It means so much to him. I remember when I was doing the, so I was mixing the solo record at Miloco and it was a weekend and there was no one else in, not Miloco, um, Strong Room in London. And there's a, there a big rec room that had a big telly and Wales were playing rugby. Uh, and I was just downstairs mixing. There was no one else in the studio, <coughs> so he, he wasn't doing it to impress anyone. I went um, to to go to go to the toilet, and I walked in, and he didn't know I was there. And like, obviously, things weren't going well. And he was just his face was that close to the screen, and he was just screaming at it, just absolutely. <laughs> he's a very very loud voice. <laughs> you fucking <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! I wish I felt that strongly about something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like literally anything. Yeah, yeah. imagine. Oh God! So yeah, so so it meant a lot for them to get asked to do that, and it meant a lot for them to do it and do it right, kind of thing. And um, so it was, yeah, like I say, it was a happy session, happy memory. So, uh, and I'm I'm pleased and slightly amused that I've done a football song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that one. Um, I put down Comfort Comes. Ooh. 
um, because it's such an important song in Manic's history because really that was where the Holy Bible was born. Yeah. Um, yeah. Musically kind of thing. I remember, you know, I mixed that one. Um, uh, and I, I remember really enjoying the mix because I put the drums in one speaker, which I, I always like because I'm a Beatles fan. Um, and it was, the, you know, the, stereo that, separation, the, the angular yeah. thing, um, the post-punk thing, that was the first time that they'd kind of done that on record. And I remember thinking, right, this is a direction they're going in, you know. Um, so I, th I just thought that was an Im important historical song, you know. How, how did you feel about them going in that direction? Having done a very lush album in Gold Against the Soul. Is it lush? I suppose it is. I um, think so. There's strings and there's chimes. Yeah. And there's, you know, yeah, keyboards and occasional chuggy metal, metal bits. And, there's definitely metal bits. Uh, a, uh, <laughs> a snooker ball in a frying pan or something like that, I think we read. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did that. Um, I think that's the definition of lush, chucking snooker balls into frying pans. <laughs> yeah. There's four brilliant songs on it. There's four brilliant songs, and, and um, Lettrice Dessa is proper classic. Love yeah, it. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It is, but um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I suppose I sort of realised that I would probably wasn't going to be asked to do that because uh, at that point in my musical development, those reference points were not. You know, I was always going to try and make it sound too, bah! you know, like Whoa, you, think, <laughs> you know, and obviously the Bible needed to have much more. Um, um, to be uh, sonically aggressive in a very different way to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it needed it needed to sound less produced. Maybe? Yeah, sure. That, and I would have, I, I, you know, now hopefully I'd have the grace to understand the 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 what what was going on. But at the time, you know, they knew I didn't, and I knew I didn't as well. So you know, um, but when I heard it, I mean, I went down. I went down when they were at, uh, at Big Noise. Um, I went down to see them um, and listen to what they were doing and stuff like that. You know, we we, we remained uh, very much in touch during that period. And I remember hearing early versions of Archives of Pain and stuff and just being like, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, it must be so exciting to, like, be involved with a band that you, like, really like what they do. You know, to, to like, have that working relationship and be excited by it. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, they are my favourite band. I love them. You know, I, I love them as people, and I love I love the music they make, and I love the words they write. You know, they are good. Um, yeah, they're I quite agree good. With that. They are good. That's, uh, yeah, the music. Good. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. music. You know, so <laughs> it's, the manics. It's a ridiculously good. lucky. <laughs> it's a ridiculously lucky turn of events that happened to uh, happen across them. Uh, yeah, nothing to do with your um, you know vast talent or experience or anything like that. It's all luck, isn't it, Dave? This, um, sometimes it definitely <laughs> feels like that. Yeah, without a doubt. So, um, the next one, uh, equal, so Patrick Bateman, just because for me it was obviously so historic. Yes. You know, um, really not. So this is a song that Stephen Lucas haven't heard yet. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear this. Song. Seriously, yeah. don't, don't. It's, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not the greatest song and uh, we uh, recently did a twitter poll where people were picking b-sides for us to cover because we've covered lipstick traces but that's certainly not the whole story in 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 regards to manic's b-sides but also we don't have the time to cover every single b-side they've done because there's like so 180 many. of them um when when we were asking for votes uh patrick bateman came top oh that's just ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, the no, thing I was, really by far, was, you, by far the most number of votes. I mean, like, the th- we, we got a children's choir in, right? And the lyrics, yes. for, for the two of you that haven't heard it, the lyrics are Patrick Bateman, um, we are babies crippled in Christ, Patrick Bateman, therefore mm. I must be God, of the chorus. Uh, yeah. and, and so we had these kids in that were about 10 and 11, and because we were in Kent, they were all really posh, like really posh kids and quite precocious. We had about 10 of them or something. This is the very first session I've ever produced as well. We had to arrange this with the studio, the lo- you know, studio, just can you ask a local school? And these kids came in and Patrick Bateman, we have babies crippled in Christ. But in the third chorus, it then it then goes, Patrick Bateman, we're babies crippled in Christ. Patrick Bateman, I fucked God up the arse. And like, you can't get the kids to sing that. So I had to keep stopping. That. You know, kids stopping the tape. I'd be like listening to the tape. I was like, oh, wait, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> just just oh, so I'm excited. Mad. Yeah, I want to hear this one. Yeah, yeah. So it's six and a half minutes. It opens with a clip of the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, that goes into an echo and then, and then it comes in with like yeah. this sort of Metallica-esque slow sludge. Mad song. It's fucking Mad mental. And I thought, because I was really young, you know, and I thought it was my duty as a producer to read the book, you know, and I'm quite uh, um, uh, violence averse. <laughs> Just like, right. I forced myself to That's read American Psycho and it gave me nightmares for months. <laughs> I was absolutely just, uh, it just killed me. It absolutely killed me. Even just thinking now of the, yeah, of the cover of the book, book, that original brilliant piece of art that was on the cover. I, was, I was like, just shudder at the thought of it. Yeah, yeah anyone, that's a difficult book. Anyone who's only seen the film and hasn't read the book really is doing themselves a disservice not reading the book to see what they didn't have to see. I'm aware there there's us. something about rats. Oh, the rat Ooh. thing was Ooh. just... Oh, Let's God, not. Just, <laughs> anyway. And, and yes, and yet this song is in your top ten, though. <laughs> After you tell well, me yeah, because not to, to me it's to so it. important. Do you know what I mean? Like, to me, yeah, it was yeah, that, that, yeah. that's literally the first song I produced like for any band, yeah. you know. So, um, oh, that's mad. Yeah, it was so. What a start to a career, <laughs> Patrick Bateman. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's it's this is a personal top ten, right? Like, it's you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It isn't necessarily yeah, it'd be boring if it was if it was just designed for life. If you tolerate uh, faster motorcycle emptiness, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, boring. Completely. So, uh, so yeah. So Patrick Bateman. Um, so I really love. Um, the little cover version of Been a Sun that we did that went out on the B-side. With the like the bluesy slide yeah. guitar. Yeah, the yeah. Song. Oh, cool. I liked that one. I remember that being great. Yeah, and I'm just... I mean, Nirvana for me are... are um, I can show you the bit of tarmac I was driving over the first time I heard the chorus of Teen Spirit and it changed my life. You know, it's just like absolutely very, very important band indeed. Um, and so it was lovely to work on a good Nirvana cover, you know. <laughs> James's yeah. voice on that cover is insane. I think. I mean, we James's did voice, voice is insane, insane anyway. But I think we did. Um, we did. I'm. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying we did that the same week that we did the song with Tom Jones. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, those are two very different vibes. 
Wait, again, how, how was it recorded? Why have I heard this song? Well, that that was on. Yeah, it was a, it's on Tom Jones' duet album, um, the one yeah. that had um, Sex Bomb on it. Um, that was yeah. all. It was all duets with cool indie bands at the time. So there was one, um, but like the, he did, burning down the house, talking heads with the Cardigans, um, and yeah. he did. Um, one with um, the phonics, um, and we did uh, uh, an Elvis Skiffle era song called um, "I'm Left, You're Right, She's Gone," um, <laughs> and it was a duet with, uh, with Tom and James, and it was. And how uh, much how much competition was there for who can sing the loudest? It was. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> it was like so. Tom came in, and we played him the backing track, and uh, we were trying to work out who who would who would sing what bit, kind of thing. And you could mm. see, like, Tom was, like, holding back and going, like that kind of thing. And you just saw James sort of think, oh, fuck this. And he just went for it. And then you saw Tom think, well, I'm not going to let this little prick out do me. And he just started <laughs> fucking going. And, like, and, James, and So, like, I was, it was just me sat there and then these two incredible Welsh voices. And it was so loud and it was amazing. James, uh, James sounds, um, yeah. Tom, Chris, and James Tafferotti because he's so high. <laughs> uh, but yeah, being a son, that seems like it happened very quickly. It did, yeah. That's what I mean. We were just on that session. We we, we were in Rack Studios, which was really lovely, and we just like should we just quickly like bash that down, you know? That's cool. I like when yeah, stuff comes cool. together like that. Uh, okay, so you've got two left, unless you're really. No, no, no. Cheating. I've got. I think I've got sixteen or fifteen. I think it is left. <laughs> Not left. Yeah, no. sixteen. So we've got prologue. I mean, obviously, I've got to put masses against the classes in there because it's num- first number one of the millennium. Um, and cool song as well. Uh, it's a brilliant song, and it sounds a bit like Nirvana. And I love masses against classes. Um, so, uh, and you know, again. Happy memories. That was when James got obsessed with one guitar sound. The guitar sound in the verse we recorded 15 times. I don't know, just so many times. You just really? kept going, Should we have another go at that one? Should we have another go? He says, it's not What right. was wrong with the first 14? Not quite right. <laughs> not quite right. Not quite right. Just not quite right. So it's the sound. Huh. Sound. Just go back. Just do it again. Huh. <laughs> That's so interesting. That's such a little window into like how he works. Uh, and and there will never again be a number one single that like opens with a Noam Chomsky uh, sound clip and Absolutely. ends with an Albert Camus quote. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Did did you ever get told in in um Pog, he wrote faster 30 times? Um I have heard that. Yeah. He did like and, he and really did. because he, he knew the lyric was so key. He had to get it right. To the record. He letters, actually so well, we are literally talking oh, right. 30 different pieces of music that were songs. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. So, so, like so he wrote it thirty times. Faster. He he had the lyrics. Yeah, and mm. he wrote essentially thirty different songs to those lyrics. Yeah. Mm. So out wow. there is twenty nine different songs. With well, they're the not really out there, but yeah, yeah, but not. Well, yeah, I mean, back then it would have been back then it would have been just written down acoustic guitar, you know. But um, and are those in your top ten as well? No, <laughs> different versions of faster. So wait a sec. So we've done Prologue Two, we've done Mass Against Classes, done Grace of God, done Forever Delayed, Dead Trees and Traffic Islands, Together Stronger, Comfort Comes, Patrick Bateman, Bin a Son, Sorrow Sixteen. Oh, um, I just think it's brilliant, and I just love that Nicky. I love that Nicky backing vocal. I feel like falling, 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 feel like falling in hate. <laughs> 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 that is 
such an early Mannix uh, song. Um, oh, that's interesting. Sorrow 16, a song that I've probably paid nearly no mind over the years. Oh, it's just a really, I mean, look, you know, when you bought Motown Junk, you had, you know, Motown Junk, Sorrow 16, and We Her Majesty's Prisoners. That's great. It was great opening salvo for a young band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly makes a statement. It really does. It was number 96 in the charts, I remember it. Because this was before the indie wars were won. I remember that being a, a good thing. That was like, wow, it's, number, it's, mm, it's, yeah. it's in the actual charts, you know, like, even though it was number 96. That meant something, you know. I mean, singles, you know, people actually sold singles then, and now it's sort of based on... I've actually got no fucking idea what it's based on anymore. No, Streams. nobody does. Nobody right. does. No one knows. Yeah. yeah, I don't understand. If if the charts now are just the most streamed songs, then surely the most streamed songs are not new songs. It's... Yeah. There's a way... There's, like, it's not just the streaming, it's radio as well, and sales. And it all goes into some dark voodoo algorithm and um, right. and then waiting is given to it being new. Presume I know I know yeah, that one hundred yeah there's a yeah. one hundred streams is one sale I know that yeah because it means that like uh, one of my songs has sold thirty copies <laughs> uh. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah it is that Fle- um, flexing there Adam I know right yeah. <laughs> it is that um, little plug but yeah that's why you know Ed Sheeran had sixteen of the top twenty when his new album came out you know it was like yeah oh, yeah. That's a shame. Which then sort of like eliminates the need for singles at all. Well, I think they changed the rules after that. But, um, oh, but, did they? But yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Because you knows? can't do that. Who knows? Um, but nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody knows what those rules are. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I have no idea what what you know. Yeah, because if whatever it's just like it... the most streamed songs, then like I don't know, some fucking Beyonce song will just be like number. Crazy one in Love would always be number one yeah. forever. Totally. Like. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. There is a waiting given to when it was released. Um, huh. And it is definitely not only streaming, it's radio play and obviously sales. But right. uh, it, I mean, people do still release, you know, 7-inch. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. like, yeah. and I guess you can still buy a song off iTunes for 79p, right? Yeah, can absolutely. You? No, you can, is yeah. That... I do it all the time when I'm given references. Yeah, yeah no, if, I'm, if, if an artist says to me, you know, like, a little bit more like this or listen to this, I'll always, like, it's just easier then I mean, half the time I've got the song on a CD in the house, but then I have yeah. to walk over the garden, and you just think, you know, it's, there, it's <laughs> on mean, your, it's on your be computer, and it's seventy nine p. Well, because then it sounds like dog shit. I mean, yeah, like it yeah. really does. MP3s yeah. aren't great anyway, but Spotify is particularly fucking awful. Um, mm. And my only way of listening to Spotify in the computer is to take the headphone output of my computer and plug it into two inputs. So it's like oh, taking something that's awful effort. and then making it yeah. ten times worse. So if it's a reference <laughs> thing, I'll pay me 79p. It's all right. Yeah. I mean, for a bit of behind-the-scenes action, but do you have you adjusted the way you master and produce albums to allow for streaming sounding dog shit? Because Adam, you said that that's sort of a thing that people now do. It's more. It's more in plan the, for it. It's more in the wow. writing. Um, yeah, the, I mean, um, there are. There's this thing called the um, loudness penalty. Yeah. That yep. different different streaming services, the way that they manage volume, or perceived volume, is this is not exciting stuff for Manic fans, but um, is 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 different. So um, the 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 way that you uh, limit your master um affects how loud it's going to be and that might be 
different on YouTube and Spotify and Deezer and wow. whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something that cleverer people than me know about. Um, I just right. mix it and then I pass it on to the mastering phase and say, can you sort all that out, please? <laughs> <laughs> Did you say that it, it has affected the writing stage? Yeah, as well? it's like it's, it's I mean, certainly in the in the pop arena. Um, it's it got to be like, playlist because, worthy? because people won't listen to more than like 20 seconds. So you have to yeah. grab them in the first 20 seconds. Get so, to the chorus. You know, it's like putting instrumental choruses at the start and, you know, um, the don't bore us get to the chorus thing has gone into overdrive um and so yeah so the... those long ambient intros that i put on my songs uh <laughs> they're probably not doing me any favors right it's just into it's just in terms of the streaming shit you know like yeah it doesn't yeah it's it's, it's so weird <laughs> the whole i haven't got my head around it properly at all really i uh, it seems like oh, that seems like a step backwards it is of course it is to be in influencing the writing process yeah of course well but i mean equally the writing is all the the medium has always influenced the writing you know from um the quality of motown records was better because the songs were a little bit shorter and so the grooves could be cut in a way that the 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 bottom end was bigger right and you couldn't make a song that was too long to fit on seven inches of vinyl i suppose yeah Hmm. Um, you you would you would influence the, the the medium of the album would be would influence the sequencing of the songs because um, the the uh, playback in the center grooves is different to on the outer groove so you you might choose songs that have different frequency balances to go into the into the center of the vinyl things like that you know wow. that's very interesting that's mad I hadn't had never heard or considered that. Yeah, so I mean the medium, the medium that the the playback medium has always, you know, and then as as um, you know, when CD came out, people expect, you know, you would you wouldn't have done Super Unknown Soundgarden on vinyl, would you? Because seventy two minutes long, you know, they literally right, yeah, just chilled the CD. <laughs> and then obviously there was that window when it was really important to make sure an album sounds perfect on mini disc. that was like that six months that six months very very, 2001 very very important that was a shit medium wasn't it that that's the medium that got me into the manix my dad had a mini disc with uh, three manix songs on it wow Um, okay your dad um, that's so depressing (laughs) <laughs> what what's depressing about my dad? No, no. <laughs> the fact that your dad got you into the Manix makes me feel like a really old man. Um, yeah, there's not a lot I can do about that. No. About that. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. Thanks a lot. It's <laughs> yeah, a good way to end. Uh, it. Where where did we get to? Oh no, so, sorry. Okay, right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So sorry, sixteen. Um, and then judge yourself. Okay, cool. Um, because, again, it's the history of the thing. We were recording that um, two days before Richie went. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, for the Judge Dredd soundtrack, right? But yeah, pitching for the Judge Dredd soundtrack. That was never going to yeah. happen, clearly. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> but we did um, a bunch of demos for stuff that um, went on to be on Everything Must Go. Um, so we did the actual recording of um, No Surface All Feeling that week. Um mm. And we did early versions of um, Further Away. Um, and uh, But we did like nine songs, including Judge Yourself. And then um, the following morning, they went to London. And then the following morning, Richie was gone. 
so um, that just feels like a kind of sad little signpost in their in their musical history. That one song, yeah, mm. yeah, a watershed moment, I suppose. It kind of uh, defines and informs the rest of their career. Of course, you know they they spend albums and albums coming to terms with that. You know, yeah, and still two, now two, you know. two week period of time. Yeah, um, that that period of time actually like is one that's always fascinated me you know you said you were demoing like maybe nine songs and some of them were from everything must go you know there there is there's this long-held narrative that richie sadly disappears Mm. and then the manics become a euphoric um you know rock band rather than the very dark version of the band that's on the holy bible but actually it sounded like they were kind of going that way anyway even there was if always Richard that had remained. Uh, James was listening to loads of Motown at that time, um, anyway. Um, but there was a pull in different directions. On that session, um, Richie was talking about um, sounding like uh, Industrial Pantera or something like that. It was, it was right, like, yeah. You know, um, Nine Inch so there Nails. Was, there was, yeah, there was, there was, um, there was probably going to be musical tension a- a- ahead, further down the line, if you know what I mean. Um, but. Yeah, I suppose it's not that um, that that him leaving made them euphoric at all. It was the, it was much more that um, in the same way that New Order rose out of Joy Division, it was that they couldn't be that anymore and look yeah, their absolutely. fans in the eyes. It had to be a complete change. You couldn't now wear the combats. You know, it was like that conscious thing to be almost man at CNA. You know, and it's like, okay, that's yeah. all gone. We're, you know, everything must go. We're, you know, this is a new, a new thing now. It would be um, dishonest of us to do Holy Bible Mark II at this point, because mm. you know, lyrically, that was Richie's record, um, and that was, you know, when he was twenty-five percent of the band, that was what the band were. And you, you know, just like when Ian had gone from Joy Division, you know. Um, n- you know, new order. <laughs> Just like yeah, that. literally. Yeah. They used that as a model of a way to, you know, after they decided that they were going to carry on, they used that yeah. as a as a kind of a, a, um, signpost to how to do it. You know, which is why yeah. the graphics of everything must go are so influenced by new order. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then I suppose Judge Yourself is the last vestiges of the band that they were before that happened. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it wasn't released until sort of much later, but. Uh... Yeah, an interesting song, um, an interesting little bit of their career, especially because so, the way yes. James, especially because the way James pronounces "heal yourself," it really does sound like "kill yourself." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, that one, uh, and then um, the version of "Out of Time" that we did for the second Help album. Oh yeah, yeah is yeah, yeah, yeah. is such a euphoric burst of just joy and like just a real lesson in recording as well for me because like the original um was was done on four track and we were just and we just to make it fun we just set ourselves the task of a busman's holiday let's just remake the record you know let's you know we're not trying to be cool we're not trying to you know let's just make it how it was and we just kept listening to parts and saying shit we need baritone saxes doing this and you know because it was the charity (laughs) thing we could we could ring people up for for favors kind of thing and you know oh shit now the strings are doing this and you know it took we it took us 64 tracks 
to oh my God. to recreate, to recreate this four-track four track recording. You know, <laughs> it was a fucking brilliant record. Yeah. Such a brilliant record, and I really, I just really loved the sound of our version. And um, that was at a time I had uh, an engineer who's now a, a really good producer called Sean Janocki, um, and he was the guitar player in a band I'd produced. And he phoned me up that week. Um, to say I'm thinking of um, going into engineering, you know, have you got anything that you need doing? And I was, and I'd asked a few engineer friends because I knew this work was going to be really intense. We didn't have very long to do it, and there was a lot to do. And I'd asked a few engineer friends, "Do you fancy engineering for me for this ch- charity thing?" And everyone was busy, and so he just phoned up at that moment and said, um, "You know, do you need anything?" And I said, "Well, if you don't mind working for free, you know, we're going to do this thing at the weekend." And he came down, and he was so brilliant. He ended up engineering for me for for a couple of years, and he's wow. still a very good friend now, um, and is a brilliant producer and a brilliant guitar player. And he worked on my um, Roger Daltrey record. He was the guitar player on that, and loads of stuff. He engineered the Who for me, and um, you know, and he's a you know a good friend. So that you know, and I just love the sound of that, and it was just fun. You know, it was just great fun. Oh, so many of your anecdotes end with it was just great fun. I'm so jealous of your job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, it's it, it's you know, it's not it's not what it used to be in terms of financial reward, but it's still what it used to be in terms of fun. Yeah, I suppose the ah, uh... oh, that's a, a nice little touch of sadness we've added to the, uh, <laughs> to, the to your job there. <laughs> So, uh, so out of time, and then I, I mentioned the "Can't Take My Eyes Off You" the footy version. I mentioned "Ghost of Christmas" um, because it's just that thing again of just this band that are just keen to tick every box and just be yeah. classic in every fucking way. And you know, the Manic Street Preachers, you know, this band that are known as sort of intellectuals and a bit miserable, and you know, sometimes a bit up their own ass, and and then they release a fucking Christmas song. I, I just like the... And it's a proper Christmas it's song Slade. as well. It's I can't wait to hear it. That's a With good like one. A saxophone and... Ref- I never thought I'd hear them sing about Xboxes. It's so just did, fun. Yeah, did you have what? 25 mics around the sleigh bells? In the, uh, the <laughs> I thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> So and when do we get to hear this song? I'm guessing the answer is going to be Christmas. At Christmas, no, just, you can't yeah, open your presents. So Christmas starts on December first. That's when you can start listening to Christmas. <laughs> That's songs. when you can start listening to Christmas songs. Yeah, definitely. So does that yeah. mean I can listen to it on December first? You can definitely only do if that. you're very good. If you're really, really good. If you really <laughs> behave yourself between now and then. But so, uh, and that's it. And so there's just the two. The two solo ones that I think should have been Manic's tracks that I just love are um, still a long way to go. Mm. Yes, on James's it's solo record is just the most spectrally beautiful song. It's it's and it so nice. Bowls you me particularly like that one Steve. every fucking yeah, time. Yeah, James's vocal is insane on that, and his guitar. I mean, it is, yeah, yeah, such a it's beautiful, beautiful twelve-string part. Yeah. It's, it's astounding song. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and from Nicky Wire's record, "Goodbye Suicide," which um, ooh, weird choice. Uh, which I think is an absolutely brilliant record, and I think it's an amazing mix by Loz, um, Loz Williams, who is their right-hand man, is with them every day in the studio. Um, doesn't get enough credit. He produced, um, or he get, he's got a production credit on Futurology. And, on, and Rewind the Film. And Rewind the Film. Um, yeah. And James's new solo record. Um, yeah, we've been talking about him recently. Cause yeah, we, Loz, Loz is great. We're in the middle of our Rewind Futurology uh, recordings. Yeah, Loz is great. Loz is the right-hand man. He's done it. He's done every job for the Manics. You know, like in terms of being a tech on the road, and you know, 
uh, he's just one of these people who makes things happen. Like I remember going, like <laughs> they had this um, kind of shitty home organ sitting in Faster Studios before they left it, and it was just by the door. And as we were leaving, me and James were going for dinner, and um, he just said, um, "Oh, we should, we should, we should think about getting that and putting it upstairs. You know, it's in the way there, isn't it? There's not, you know, there's not enough space in this room as it is." It's in the way. It's a big fucking home organ thing, you know. When we went out to dinner and Loz was just in the studio. Loz doesn't like to eat. He's, he's odd. Sure. He's like, <laughs> oh, I'll have something later. And it's like, will you? Will you? <laughs> but anyway, so we went out to eat and we came back and the organ was upstairs. He was on his own and he got a home <laughs> organ up the fucking stairs. <laughs> how do you do that? He designed the whole of the upstairs of their studio at Faster, which which was an amazing, you know, like he just did it on some architect program. I remember looking over at him doing Sudoku once and he'd finished it in stupid time and it was the hard one in the times. And I said, Jesus, Loz, you should be a member of Mensa. He said, oh, I am. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's another, like, another... You know, I love of... all these little uh, characters that are part of this weird Mannix family. It's, yeah, it's so nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. So goodbye, suicide. I just li- I listen I listened to it again today because I was going through this list and listening to stuff, and that's a brilliant mix Loz has done there. It's really good. The bottom mm. end's great. The song's really cool. Like I think I probably would have tried to swathe that in too much reverb. It would I would have gone like really velvets with it. And his thing of having the vocal up really close and just allowing the bass to be this space um, or the bottom end, because there's no bass in it. Yeah, right? there's yeah. no tom bass, kind of yeah. thing. Um, is really, really cool. Uh, and so credit to him for that. And the song's great. And, you know, Nikki's Nikki's vocal, you know, only works in certain environments and it really works on that one, you know. <laughs> that's a very polite way of putting it. I was going to say, that's very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> no, but look at William's last words. I mean, what a vocal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. What a vocal, you know, like Yeah. But also look at Ballad of the Bangkok Novatel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a man of many moods. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is a uh, a ridiculously strong uh, top it's not really ten, top fifteen, sixteen. Um so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put that into a Spotify playlist and I'll post it when this episode goes up. Okay. So anybody who's listening to this cool. and wants to kinda of listen along, they can. Um, the ones that well, don't exist. Yeah, but there's two on there, there's two on there that you can't put on. Yeah. That that one's going to be a struggle. Just put on the album the, version of Grace of God because it's still great. Yeah. All right, yeah, I'll put that one on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I kind of have just have two things uh, to ask you left. Um, one, it, as as a tradition, I've got one contentious question, uh, which w- might put you in a bad mood, and <laughs> and then I've got a second question where I try and coerce you into working on my music for free. So uh, what we'll do is we'll do the. <laughs> We'll do the contentious I one like the, first. This is an okay. interesting <laughs> way through here. It's like to, to, yeah, to just yeah. like yeah. this is a poker uh, move. I like this. It's a poker move. <laughs> this is like a double bluff. It's like okay, what's right? Right. Yeah, I I know what he knows that he thinks that I know that he has. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I left a little pause there, so I've got an edit point, Dave, because if you don't want to answer this, you are more than welcome to right. not answer it. The song Underdogs. Do you know what I'm going to ask? Well, is, it, is this the one where people thought there was a bad edit? Oh, yes, it is, Dave. <laughs> yes. I'm very curious about that edit. 
Listen, I'm no problem with answering the question. As far as I know, and I could be profoundly wrong, because this was 13 years ago, so... Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's such, um, a, such a shit question to ask you 13 I know, I, no, years I just, after you worked I just it. remember being really confounded when I read a few of those things. I, I, I went on one Manix forum once ever, right? Um, oh, dear. And... Uh, and I, I found a thread that said Dave Erringer, and it's hard not to press that button, you know. Oh yeah, and yeah. there's there's a thread on the forum at the moment about us, which I which I check quite a lot. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. I did that, and there was I I went down this rabbit hole, and there was this guy like slagging off the real minutiae of my mixes and saying that I was really shit with reverb and I don't like, like I read it for about half an hour just, so you found my posts then Dave <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know I just remember them. feeling really shit about myself afterwards and I just thought I'm not going to do that again so I never really mm. looked at but yeah this underdog I don't think there was an edit there I really don't think there was you can hear um, that the vocal okay so the second chorus is longer than the first one right um but you can hear where uh, the, like half of a word has been left in. Now, I don't know why it bothers people that much, but right. I'm just genuinely curious as to whether that's a deliberate choice to, you know, as the Mannix will do, alienate and confuse people, or if it's it was a, a genuine absolutely accident. Absolutely not. I mean, that's, that's the nobody loved you of that record. You know, they... Yes, it is. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt. Because nobody loves it. <laughs> I quite liked it. I mean, I like every song on that record because I love Send Away the Tigers. I, lo- I yeah, love, so I true. really love Send Away the Tigers. But if there is a nobody loved you on Send Away the Tigers, it's definitely yeah. underdog. It? Well, it's the one they took off, right? Yeah, they replaced exactly. it with Welcome That's... to the Dead Zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, interesting. So it's definitely not a deliberate. It's, oh, there's a, no no bit of like no bit of that is deliberate. I will go and listen to it afterwards and like. Yeah, maybe email I mean, it, me about that because uh, maybe then I'll finally be able to sleep, Dave. Um, Chris, because I didn't mix that one. Um, oh no! Passing I asked the Greg buck. and I asked Greg and he said no, I didn't do that one. Ask Dave. No, right, no, no. Who do I, d- who I, produced, do I need to talk I produ- to? I produced all, all of the song except except um, Second Great Depression, which Greg did. So I produced yeah. the whole of the rest of the album. Um, and including underdogs, it's just that that was the first album we got Chris Lord Alge to mix, who, who, and he did such an insanely brilliant job. Um, oh, yeah. oh yeah, that's that that is a record that sounds huge. Yeah, no, I mean we we you yeah know, we, we yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, so I mean I can't. I Chris is obviously a. a, a it, ridiculously high level professional and and i can't think mm. the way i just don't remember asking for any edits and okay there's well, no way that he would have, i remember being confounded the, the by mystery it, thinking, continues so it is a, it is a mystery it is a mystery i will go yeah. and listen to it now that you've mentioned it <laughs> i will go and listen to it and see what the fuck everyone's talking about but so when is adam it's the first chorus right mm. yeah end of the first chorus end of the first chorus mm-hmm. you can hear him go <laughs> um, yeah have I got my phone? Wait a sec. You're going to put oh, it on right now. It alive. It alive. It's kind of annoying me. Not annoying me, but you know what I mean. Oh, I didn't mean to annoy you. Actually, no, I, <laughs> you I did. did say. Yeah. You did say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now you're going to ask him to do something for free. What are you doing? Yeah, well, no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Spotify. 
Because just saying yes to me to shut me up is going to seem like the better option to him. Oh, That's yeah, the thing. good point, yeah. See what I've done. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's all part of Luckily, he can't hear us right now. Cause he's Song, the Manic Street Preacher, yeah. send away the tigers. Right, here we are. This is going to sound great. Oh, whoops. Um, <laughs> How do you get it? Oh, yeah, you press that button. Right, there we go. I remember Great. this song. Good guitar. Yeah, it does sound cool. Fuck me, the guitar sounds great. Fuck me. <laughs> Coming up here, yeah? Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's not an edit. It's not an edit. It's not an edit. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It is. You can hear it. <laughs> might have been Adam, him. It might have been him going. It, like, it, like, it's, like, it's just not an edit. Have you considered <laughs> that in the vocal take that James just like makes a little mouth sound at the end? I had never considered it. And it and sounds like a little suck up into happened. the. It sounds like a little sucking like. Yeah, to, like, looks, to draw looks, you back into the verse. It's it's not a shit edit. It's not. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it, <laughs> it definitely like it well, sounds right. like the beginning of the word. Do you know what? There. I reckon. I, I I reckon I'm like. Oh, I would have left it on on the reissue. <laughs> I like. Yeah. I, I, I would have done as well because I, like, I hate. Well, that sounds great. History. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on the no revision. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I think let albums stand uh, as they. Uh, as they are. Yeah. I think so, we need to um, send Dave some of your music and let him critique it aggressively and find some syllable. little twatty edit. <laughs> be like, oh, Adam, that's not great. Oh, what happened there? <laughs> it's just not an well, edit. It's just it isn't because that is the arrangement we recorded it in. Fair enough. Do you know what I mean? So, like, fair enough. if it was like, oh, yeah, we, we did have this reintro part there and then they decided they wanted to go straight back into the vocal, I'd understand, but it's not. It's just that's the arrangement we recorded the song in. Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. The mystery continues. The mystery That's, it's continues. Just, no, I mean, it's just not an edit. <laughs> <laughs> I, love how Adam, I love how Adam warned Fake you news. and it's the exact outcome that we expected to happen is you have wound up. I'm, not, no, I, I, I'm glad I listened to it because it was like, he's oh, not, he's not angry, Adam. He's disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. he came on a this lo- podcast. A lot of people have been wanting me to ask you that. A lot of people have got in contact on Twitter saying, if you ever talk to Dave, talk about that. And so now we talk about it. Is this the thing that you asked and I feel awful. off mic? It might be that yes. we did like some kind of shit little suck-in sound, and that's what everyone thinks is the bad edit. I mean, it's possible that that's the a little... To like, to like, because the chorus yeah. is so big and wide, and then it's like the back to the chugging guitar. The tuk, 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 tuk. So it's like the discipline and the big thing. It's quite possible that it is just like a. But I don't remember doing that. But I don't remember not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Manix fans are nothing if not very particular. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Um, so I asked this of uh, Greg Haver, and I won't tell you how he uh, responded. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now. Full commitment or nothing. Right, right. Wow. <laughs> Will you produce my album for free? And all I want, right? Okay, it just doesn't sound as intensive as that. It doesn't sound as... It's not that intense, right? Because all I want is studio time for free, <laughs> mm. um, your time 
for uh, free. Upwards of six months because I'm very particular as well. Very. Yeah. Um, I'd like James Dean Bradfield to do some backing vocals. Mm. And uh, I've written down at least three guitar solos, but on tra- on tracks of his choice. That's okay, good. So I'm that willing he gets to... to pick them. This is generous. I don't, so I don't feel like be... that's you know that you need to put that caveat in. <laughs> well, really? Okay. No. Okay. Okay. So yes or no, then, Dave, on that one. Uh, I'm going to say, unfortunately, the pandemic is 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 oh, yeah. uh, is restricting my ability to do what I would clearly love to do. It goes without saying so, that I'd be very happy. Well, to I can do. come come down in January. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, nothing would make me happier than being sure. able to commit to a passion project for six months, because that would mean that I yeah. was financially independent, which I am far from. <laughs> um, right. So, what my answer is that I would be ecstatic to be able to say yes to that. That's a very and, and you're now ecstatic because you are saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, thank you uh, like so much for coming on and putting up with our um, bullshit and uh, contentious questions about edits in songs you did 13 years ago. Um, <laughs> not, not a problem. It's not a problem. It's just like, it, yeah, it's just weird though. It is, it is weird the things that Manix fans in general sort of glom on to. Yeah, that was that's an very, odd one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, of all the things that uh, the Manix have, have done and, yeah. and and weird decisions they've made, like you know, choice of singles on some albums and stuff. It's weird that the underdogs edit is the one. It's um, the one that everyone's <laughs> on about. Bizarre. Well, I'm happy to have been involved in the one that everybody's so pissed off about. Hey, you know, people are talking about it. You know, so that's yeah. that's positive. Um, David, man, thank you so much for coming on. This has honestly been an absolute uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I was absolutely uh, shitting myself uh, before you joined the Zoom call because you are a bit of uh, a hero of mine. Um, Oh, that's ridiculously lovely. You know, yeah, from the incredible work that you've done with the Manics and with loads of other artists as well. That Wilco Johnson and Roger Daltrey album is so good. Amazing. Thank you. What are we plugging at the moment, Dave? What are we plugging? Yeah, what have you got coming out? Um, every, every guest we've had on has said, "Well, COVID has stopped play, so no one." It has. Anything. I've just done a record. <laughs> I've just done a record with a band from Sheffield called the Sherlock's, and there's a really, really good single called "Falling" coming at some point um, cool. uh, that I think is really good. Um, so that um, there is a single out now um, called uh, "Show Your Face" by the Anchoress, who sang on Dylan and Caitlin on Riff. Um, yes. I mixed that, and much more importantly and much more excitingly, um, well, first of all, James James plays guitar in it, so that's that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but my son, who is a filmmaker, um, that's his first video. Um, oh, cool! Uh, for a for a proper artist, and um, he did that when he was eighteen. So he is following in the family tradition of. Uh, making amazing good, making good that art. is so that is that, a cool video as well we often talk to uh catherine the anchoress over twitter and we've we've, we've talked to her as well and oh there you go yeah. okay are you are you so cool, you've seen the cool, video yeah oh yeah absolutely cool song cool video it's got like that um sort of bowie-esque feel i love the way that she uses synths and, it's got it's got a magazine yeah. feel to me like especially james's guitar part. yeah that's yeah for that's, sure um yeah but uh, but yeah, so I would uh, so in terms of if there was one thing that I was going to push, go and watch the amazing JJ Eringer's video for the Anchoresses Show Your Face, and you'll be able to find a link to that in our show. Oh, that'd notes. be brilliant. That would um, be brilliant. Which brings us, unless there's anything else you're absolutely dying to mention, Dave, that brings us to the end of the episode. 
No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will no, I never tire of talking about this band because they are my favourite band. I'll come back next week then. Yeah, Great. I'll finish we'll the exact same sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. we'll, <just laughs> another, we'll do another couple of hours. <laughs> did, you, did you say Greg said um, the exact can, same sentence? <laughs> you yeah. can get hold of us on Twitter at Manix Podcast and you can get hold of us on Instagram at Manix Podcast. You can email us if you want. Probably read it out at some point. We've got some episodes coming out where I think we're going to read out some fan stuff. Right? We'll have time Fan. for that, probably. Manixpodcast at gmail.com. I meant fans of the Manix rather than fans of us, and yeah, it sounds really yeah. like, oh, you know, all of our fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, dozens. Uh, and also, if, you know, if you feel like, you, you know, you are 100% supporting us just by listening to this podcast, if you feel like you want to chuck us a couple of quid and you want something in return, we have lots of uh, sort of like, shit and stupid and one cool design uh on red bubble you can get them on t-shirts or face masks or jigsaw puzzles whatever you <laughs> like you really want. um so which is the one cool one adam uh, i'll never tell so if you <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but you can get it on a shower curtain <laughs> yeah you can <laughs> if you go to do you love us dot redbubble.com thank you so much for listening thank you uh to lucas and steve because you, know, you always join us but thank you again specifically david ringer thank you so much for joining us thank you so much thank no you thing it was, it was an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure is that we live in urban hell and we destroy rock and roll bye, bye. <laughs> i pledge allegiance to the flag of the united states of america and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all